Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you, bye. 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 Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through right here on another spring day. The gardeners are somewhere in the background. Not mine, but somebody's. Maybe yours. We have questions, reviews, and so much more. I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and with me, of course, the star of the drive through the Rock-A-Con kidnapper himself, Mr. Jim Cornette. Hold on, I'm on the phone with Sergeant McCoy. Hey! hey. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll call you right back. Get that taken care of. I'm sorry I was on the phone. Anyway, so this is your program, was, huh, Skippy? I was so close to introducing you as the Sergeant McCoy. Of the drive-thru. See, people right now across the world, around this big blue marble hurtling through the sky that we call Earth, they would be doubled over in laughter right now if they understood. But the only two people in the world besides... No, there's there's three. There's a third. There's a third. There's a third. (laughs) Actually, there's four. Sergeant McCoy was in on it, but he didn't find it funny. I wish we could tell you what this is all about, folks. You'll have to call the hotline. Yeah, sorry, partner. At 1-900-BLOW-ME for the entire story. We can't talk about it here on the air. But um, speaking of stuff we can't talk about on the air, the draft, the entire WWE roster has now been drafted. Over there, over there. Over there, say a prayer to beware, cause the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, and we won't come back till it's over over there. They should have had George M. Cohan or some other son of a bitch write the WWE draft. Just some other random son of a bitch besides George M. Cohan. Do you consider yourself a patriotic person? Well, I used to be until the whole place went to shit, and I'm starting <laughs> to have to rethink that too. But I was a big Yankee Doodle Dandy fan. We saved the world once. We just ain't been able to do it in the last 80 years or so. But anyway. Well, there were only more Sergeant McCoys. If there were only more Sergeant McCoys in the world, the place people would fall in line. However, having said that, I was mentioning the draft. Brian, I figured out that the equivalent entertainment value of watching raw is if you take a piece of american cheese and you accidentally drop it on the kitchen floor and you don't notice it for about a day and then you come back and you sit down in a chair and you literally watch it turn green 
That's about the equivalent entertainment value. We have talked about how little action or happenings there have been the past few weeks on that program, but this one, it was people reading other people's names and in, interspersed with matches that started and then the majority of them happened in a commercial break so that some more people could come back and talk to us or to each other. It was, it was, it was, it was a schlog. This has been happy talk, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, well, I just wanted to get right into it. You certainly did. They, they got a big pay-per-view coming up this weekend, Backlash. I can't, I can't even back into it on pay-per-view because of a fellow named Canelo Alvarez. I can't. That fellow was a very popular boxer. Well, I don't know him from Tom's house cat, and I'm not really anxious to see him this weekend. I wanted to watch Backlash on a real regular fucking television where I have a real regular remote with on-screen speed search to get me through the 10-minute entrances. But instead, I got to watch the peacock to see this thing even. They can't even get it on television anymore on the pay-per-view. How the mighty have fallen. Vince McMahon made pay-per-view popular. And now we can't even get yes. the goddamn yes. thing on, on our cable system. Vince McMahon, or as he was known in the 80s, Mike Tyson. Well, come on now. Come on, who made pay-per-view? Pay-per-view was big for WWF. I'm not disputing that. Mike Tyson was the pay-per-view phenomenon of that era. Well, he may have been a phenomenon, but... Goddamn, he wasn't fighting fucking four to 12 times a year like Vince was pay-per-viewing. Was he? Back then, maybe two, three times a year on pay-per-view. Well, see, he was lagging behind. Anyway, he I bet right now you could put Mike Tyson fighting a fucking guy at Kroger on pay-per-view and it would get on pay-per-view, but Backlash ain't on pay-per-view. Night one of WrestleMania wasn't on pay-per-view here in Louisville because of who was it then? Roy, uh, Ray, Roy, Roy Ray Jones J. Jr. Johnson Jr. No, Roy Jones Jr. Raymond, Raymond J. J. Johnson Jr. <laughs> now you can call him Ray, or you can call him Jay, or you can call him Ray J. You can call him Mr. Johnson, but you doesn't gotta call him Raymond. But anyway. What do you got? Oh, that was your end? But anyway, I thought you were still going. I don't know. Well, it's that's a transition Bill, for you. Usually I can't Bill speak. Saluga. That's right. Was his name. Google, Google it kids. And he, he was that hilarious. Gimmick. He rode yeah. that gimmick all the way to the end. The only other gimmick that I can think of that was beaten into the ground and pulverized as much would be father Guido Sarducci. Oh, you know, that's a good pick. That is a good pick. There's a lot of stuff on those early SNLs that people love. Then you go back and you watch it, you get pretty sick of it pretty quickly. <laughs> well, he it was kind of like the Orange Cassidy of network television at, uh, of his time. It was like, oh, yeah, here it comes. Well, here this comes. <laughs> What's We've that? Got, well, you want to talk about <laughs> I, have, I have no idea where we're going or where we are or what's it's going on. It's your program. I'm just trying to, to fill what? time to like call Sergeant McCoy back. You see? Um, do you, you want to talk get, about... You're going to get court-martialed if you keep this up. 
No, we don't. We don't know for sure what branch of enforcement he's in. He could be in the military. He could be a police officer. He could be in the FBI. He sounded. He could high be in the Salvation Army. He sounded high up. <laughs> he sounded, he sounded high, high up. up. <laughs> he sounded like he's up there on the uh, chain. He didn't seem like he had a lot of time to chat, did he? A Sergeant McCoy only has so much time in his day to deal with morons like us. <laughs> well, that's, he should have. He should have handed us off to Corporal Boyle. <laughs> what were you going to uh, transition to? You had something you were going to talk about. I was going to. You want to talk about this fucking raw? This draft? This? That's the big news. That's what everybody's waiting with bated breath to hear about. Is this this big draft? And it, 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 they've given it another three hours on television. I still don't understand why it's a big deal. Why anybody would care? What the logic is? Did they had a group of five this time? It was drafted as a pick. Does that mean that one of each one of those people is only worth twenty percent of a human being, or are they what? only worth twenty percent of their salary? Are you talking about the idea that they were grouped together when they were drafted? Yes. Should should they automatically should they cut their pay? Are they paying them each individually, but they they draft them together as a as a group? How does that work in the world of kayfabe? If you sign a contract with one of the brands to make X amount of dollars and you get traded, does your contract come over? Not I don't know. Not even traded, drafted. Yes. But besides that, again, after they said tag teams might be broken up and alliances and factions altered, it's going to be game-changing. Not, <laughs> not only not one, but they didn't even pick them individually to go to the same place. They just said, okay, here are these five. Who was the five people? Hold on. I got to go through my notes here. The LWO, probably. Yes, Escobar, Toro. They, Toro, Toro. Wild, Vega, and Mysterio. Four people and a woman as you would term it. That's not how I would term it. I would term it four male wrestlers and a woman. You first said, (laughs) you first said three people and a woman. You know, you did (laughs) five people. I wrote this draft is not even consistent in its own illogic. But anyway, I guess we should go from the, from the opening of this because we're, we're treating a serious subject here with, with, frivolity and and not being stern about this thing because this is people's lives are on the line here with what people program they're wrestling on how well okay let's say for example (laughs) normally you were on raw and you would work you would work the the saturday sunday and monday on their house show tour or whatever but then you go to smackdown and now you're working the friday saturday sunday or whatever well let's say that you normally would have been leaving home on Saturday and coming back on Tuesday morning, but instead you leave on Friday. And when you leave on Friday, there's a goddamn major fucking accident on the interstate and you're run over by a septic pumping tank truck. And you're covered in shit and you're dead. That's a life-changing thing to be run over by a septic tank pumping truck. And not only be killed, but be left covered in humans' waste and sewage. That would be life-changing. It certainly would. I don't know why your mind went there of all the examples you could have well, used. Well, you never know. You always hear somebody was in an accident. Well, normally they wouldn't have been there. But they've changed their routine and this happened. Well, see? That same thing. 
Are you advocating for never changing your routine ever? Well, only now, no, because there's sometimes you need to. If if people are actively looking for you, you know you've you've seen the mob specials. <laughs> I, I don't know what Where's, you're talking about. No. The mob specials that they have, that you know, the mafia. Well, I, you may have that's heard rumors. Hollywood. It's, that's all Hollywood. It's a Hollywood creation. Well, in those movies and in those books and stories and documentaries about this fictitious thing of ours. A guy would change his routine every day. He would get to go to the different, he'd go to the same place, but he'd take a different route to throw people off the scent. Now, that might be something, if people are actively looking for you, that might be something that you need to do. But otherwise, if you change your routine, you could get run over by a septic tank pumping truck. And as I mentioned, not only be killed, but embalmed and entombed in a variety of waste, shit, and sludge. So All don't right. do that kind of thing. Don't, I guess not. Do not get drafted from Raw to SmackDown or shit will take place. Well, speaking of septic waste and sludge, let's talk about the draft. Well, we might as well. So Triple H came, this is Raw for May the 1st. It should have been April 1st, April Fool's Day, but May the 1st. And Triple H came out again like he did on SmackDown and tried to justify the new world heavyweight title belt and they've gone from the best angle that they had in years the bloodline against the baby faces to the most nonsensical boring bullshit that they've done in ages which is this draft and by the way brock lester has negotiated he can just go anywhere he wants to he can be on either show anytime any place anywhere but you never know good lord so and by the way, Triple H did inform us that the new rosters go into effect Monday, March the 8th. Did you catch that? I did, right after the pay-per-view. March the 8th. Oh, he said March. Yeah, he catch. said March the 8th. I caught it when he said it. I didn't catch it when you, you said it. You didn't catch it when I said it. You listen to him more than you listen to me. The hell? We've known each other this long. Well, he's very pretty. You never ask for a second <laughs> cup of coffee anymore. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so, ha, ha. Oh, the number one draft pick on today's program, they already had, what, a dozen Friday, and then they picked a bunch more on the internet. So this is, as we talked about, it's nonsensical that they're skipping over every other draft in sports. You pick the next available best star, right, when it's your turn. But in this case, they're just skipping back and forth. So they've drafted to Raw Rhea Ripley, the SmackDown Women's Champion, which you called a day or two ago when Bianca, who was the champion of Raw, is now going to SmackDown, right? I think anyone could have called that. To be so but, but what are they just, they just hand off belt bags on their way by in the parking lot? But here, uh, Rhea Ripley is drafted here, but Melba Toast and Plum Puddin' from NXT got picked Friday night before Rhea Ripley. But, uh, that, but that's the thing. Was Triple H saying that only half of the roster was allowed to be drafted on SmackDown? Well, yes, that's, that, that's how they came up. <laughs> because, see, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. In kayfabe or out of kayfabe. And if they had done a draft the normal way, then they would have drafted the 15 best people or whatever on Friday night, and we'd have been left with 
some of the people that they drafted on Monday night anyway, but it would have been even more lopsided. But then that doesn't make any sense because then we've never been told who determines which people get picked on what day or who determines which people get wick, wicked, picked for what brand or why the three and four and five people can get picked at a time, but in other cases, it's just one. Or why that if a person is a champion, whether male or female, on one of the programs, that they can just get picked to be on the other program. Well, then does that automatically make them the Raw champion? Well, if they're from SmackDown, well, what does the Raw champion have to say about that? Maybe they don't want the SmackDown belt. It doesn't make any sense. Number two. And by the way, how come the rest of the Judgment Day were drafted without her, but then she still came out with them? But she's still with them. And they did that on somebody else, too. I'll go through my notes. But Austin Theory goes to SmackDown. Seth Franklin Rollins goes to Raw, and Charlotte Flair goes to SmackDown. That was the first set of announcements. Did everyone just go to where they were? Well, Austin well, Theory went to SmackDown. That's different. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're changing. But again, everybody's been... You can't tell whether everybody's been on both shows unless you write down the results and refer to them each week to begin with. So then Triple H introduced Paul E, and Paul came out and looked at the new belt and then waddled to the ring. And Paul did a promo in the ring. And, you know, it's better to listen to Paul than anybody else on this program, but Jesus Christ, nobody is in a hurry at all to get to any kind of a point. And the show-long thread was that Roman, Solo, and Paul are going to SmackDown. They got drafted Friday, three of them at the same time. But tonight, the fate of the Usos will be decided. And he's going to address them in private tonight. And then the Usos are going to deal with the baby faces at Backlash. And, and Friday, a week from Friday, Roman's going to address multiple issues and blah, blah, blah. And then, see, I had to write all this down. And then Paul started talking about freaking jokes and freaking clowns that were challenging Roman Reigns. And of course, that means that here came Seth Franklin Rollins. And they stood there while the crowd went, oh, this is all the same segment, by the way, the first segment of the draft and now into this. To make sure you get nonstop commercials the rest of the show. Well, and I know, and this was casual, scripted conversation between two buds. We're kind of tense with each other. Paul gets a phone call in the corner. Seth makes the fans sing louder so Paul can't hear Roman. So there's more singing. Oh, oh, oh. And then finally, Paul tells Seth that he's pissing Roman off, and Seth asks the fans how long it would take him to stomp Paul's head in. And he's counting down from five when here comes more music. And <laughs> Jesus, it's Solo. And Solo gets in the ring and Paul just holds him back and says, hey, Roman Reigns is pulling strings for a match tonight between you, Seth Franklin Rollins, and Solo. And Seth said, well, never mind the string pulling. I'll accept right now. And he struck a pose and they all walked off. 
And we were half an hour into the fucking program. What did you think of some of what Heyman was saying there about the idea of Roman Reigns going for the other belt? We hadn't even thought about that, the idea that Roman Reigns could go for the other belt, because then, beyond the idea of him winning it and having a third belt, the idea of him getting to the finals and losing is another option. And then, well, again, with him and Cody, there's unresolved shit. How else are we going to get there? You know, a lot of that might might just be swell if they hadn't already just said that Roman Reigns was drafted to SmackDown and the new world champion would be exclusive (laughs) to Raw. So why was Heyman saying all that? So why was Heyman? Because they can't even keep track. That's what I'm saying to you right now. Heyman's face when Rollins was counting down and Solo finally came out. The way it changed to confidence was great. He's so good out there. He's the best. He really is. He's always great. But there you have the most cunning linguist in all of pro wrestling that can't even keep all these loopholes in logic straight. How would it be possible that if, again, they've talked about free agents are able to go to both programs, generally the job guys that are going to, just get beat and or almost who we don't want to get tired of on any one program and Brock Lesnar, who they'll take him in their home movies if they can talk him into showing up. But (laughs) if Romans is on SmackDown and the world champion is exclusive to Raw, how is Roman going to go after or challenge for unless they just start crossing back, in which case, what the fuck? Would you like me to continue? Would I like you to? I expect you to continue. All right, that's a better way to phrase it. So, by the way, we're going to skip over the 30 minutes into the program. The first match we got was Liv and Raquel against Bailey and Kai. And they went a minute to the break. So I said, fuck this. I'm speeding up to the next draft segment. I think they got another couple minutes on the other side. Then... They had Booker and Charmel come out. And once again, these the personalities are fine, but what do any of, as you'll see later, any of these people have to do? It was like celebrity presenters at the Oscars. They had nothing to do with this whole thing. Going to Raw is Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, the tag team champions. Who have been on Raw every single week for as long as I can remember. And going to SmackDown, the Usos with Roman Reigns, Solo, and Paul already have been picked to be there, so they didn't split up the bloodline. They did not want to work Mondays. And Raw also now gets Balor, Priest, and Dominic to go along with Rhea. And that's where then uh, SmackDown gets Escobar, the, the Lucha Suits, Vega, and Mysterio five for one. So that was that segment. This draft sucks. (laughs) Let's just say it right now. It's so boring. Nothing's happening. The same people that are all together, no one's broken up. Most of these people are drafted to the show they're already on. I'm looking at a color chart here, like where they started and where they're going. Almost everyone's on just the show they were on. 
Well, speaking of a show that nobody should be on, uh, that we got a match 53 minutes into the program. The bell rang for the second match. It was Brown Strongman and Ricochet against Fat Otis and Shoosh Boy with Model Girl. And they didn't go to a break in this match because it wasn't long enough. The baby faces won in two minutes. And then we get Shawn Michaels and Adam Pierce to do the next picks. But before any of those picks take place, Brock music, Brock entrance, Brock to ring for a promo. And he says, hey, Fort Worth, how does it feel to look at the only real cowboy in Texas? Of course, now I think he's let this Saskatoon thing go to his head, being on a ranch out there in the middle of nowhere, because he's from Minneapolis. Minneapolis not noted for its cowboys, except for Blackjack Lanza. So anyway, Adam Pierce comes out and brings out every outlaw wrestler in the state of Texas dressed up as security guards. And you can you can tell the boys a mile away and they all have the same dumbfounded look on their face. They look both scared to death and pleased to be there. And nobody knows how to act like a security guard. And it's completely <laughs> preposterous. The security guards are pleading with him. Please, just get yes. out of the ring. Please, just come on. All of them are doing that. <laughs> I have been, and I'm not saying a, a security guards, just regular unlicensed, unbadged, unweaponed security guards have detained me, but I've been actually arrested a couple times, and I don't remember them asking me nicely. Anyway, they come out as about 12 of them. And Brock just looks and says, well, I think you need to get some more guys. So he waves out the second crowd, the second wave, and there comes about another eight more. And just then Cody's music plays. And now all the security guards are on the floor. The Brock is in the ring. Music's playing for Cody. His entrance video just starts, and Cody comes in the ring from behind. Brock spins around, and Cody nails him with one shot. And Brock takes a bump and rolls out, and security, all 20 of them, swarm Cody. And unlike last week... Yeah, they were waiting to get their hands on him after last yeah, week. <laughs> I think they brought some of the same guys back because they had a grudge. They held him. Good last week, he beat up like 10 of them, right? So then now there's 20, so they held him. And Brock's in the aisleway, smiling and laughing at him, holding his jaw, but like, yeah, I got to you again. And Cody's screaming, and they won't let him go. And what we had there was a one-punch brawl. That That is the, there was one punch thrown in this whole fight, and otherwise it was the security guards just holding on to Cody. Is that, are you saying that's a problem or are you saying that's okay? No, I'm saying that was they that was a goddamn ten minute segment for one motherfucker to throw a punch when you get down to it. But anyway, yeah, we are well over an hour into this program and we've had one two-minute match and one, I think, three minutes of it that showed and one punch in the big brawl at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. So, but now don't worry because Shawn Michaels is here to draft some more people. And Pierce couldn't join him back at the podium because he was already in the middle of the skirmish. 
Does Shawn Michaels now look 150 pounds in a suit? Yes. And I mean, he's 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 not getting fat. He's getting skinny, and his shoulders are shrinking. He's having the opposite effect. All the other ex-wrestlers, they balloon. He's like me. <laughs> he's he's lighter now than he was when he was in the ring. Anyway, briefly, Raw gets Liv and Raquel. SmackDown gets Oscar. Raw gets the New Day. And SmackDown gets Seamus, Ridge, and Butch. Who have been on every SmackDown forever. And they said then they had the Brawling Brutes logo. They said members include. Where did McIntyre go? He got drafted to Raw. Well, son of a bitch. Last time on SmackDown, I think. Didn't they draft well, him to Raw? He and Seamus don't get along too good anyway. And you heard about Butch. This is not the only, you know, time this this past week that uh, that Butch, you know, was the the victim or the the center of a custody battle. What? Yeah, Butch's parents are they split up. And they were having a custody fight to see who'd get to take care of little Butch. And the judge finally called Butch in and said, well, Butch, would you rather live, live with your mother? And Butch said, oh, no, judge, she beats me. Well, would you rather live with your father? Oh, no, judge, he beats me. Well, who do you want to live with? I want to live with L.A. Knight. He don't beat anybody. But L.A. Knight beat him. Oh, I forgot. That's right. <laughs> I should have used that joke. <laughs> it was the only time LA Nights won a match. The only time LA Nights won. See, I, I put it out of my mind. Anyway, so then they did. They did Riddle and Jimmy Uso. They rang the bell for the third match an hour and 18 minutes into the program. They went 30 seconds, and Jay interfered, and the match stopped while Owens and Zayn did comedy on the outside to fool the referee into ejecting Jay for something else, and then they went to the break in under a minute. And they came back, and Riddle beat him in about three more minutes. And so now they're... I don't, then here came... Rob Van Dam back. You know, Rob Van Dam looks like a guy, if this was the 70s, he would have avoided the draft. But now he's out there drafting people left and right. And, of course, he's with someone who probably would have avoided the draft or any other type of strenuous activity, Eric Bischoff, and who tried to talk to the people, and they were chanting RVD over the top of him. Now, now I see why Bischoff has been knocking all the... he. He got a couple of AEW paydays and then started knocking AEW and Tony Khan because they, they finally decided to give him a couple more paydays over on uh, uh, the other side of the street. So he's just a mercenary. He'll just go places and do things for money. Used to be called a whore. Anyway, so I don't know if this is a good segue or not, but Trish Stratus is going to Raw. Not a good segue. Not a good segue, but it was there. By the way, it's interesting she got drafted to Raw just because she's a Hall of Famer who was brought back for the build-up to WrestleMania that did the heel turn 
I guess this means they expect her to be around after the feud with Becky plays out? Well, either that or they just didn't want to leave her out because it would have hurt her feelings. She should be like Brock. She can go wherever she wants. I'll do what I want. Respect my authority. Speaking of authority that you don't have anymore, to SmackDown goes Karrion Cross and Scarlet. Boy, has anybody lost buzz due to the loss of their buzz cut, I guess, more <laughs> than Karrion Cross? No. Woo. And going to Raw, where I think they may have been or might not, I don't know, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. No, they were on SmackDown. And now to SmackDown LA Knight. So he can do some jobs over there. That's where he's been doing jobs. Uh, um, Miz was in the ring for a promo with Shaky Nakamura. And they gave this about 10 minutes. Um, have you noticed that this is the first time I've heard Nakamura really speak? He sounds like a Japanese Truman Capote. What? There is no... <laughs> there's no intimidation factor in his voice at all he j and that may be the extreme example truman capote well i'm just saying that, 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 go back go back and listen to some of it so shaky spent about five minutes teaching the miz how to say i have tiny balls in japanese without miz realizing what he was repeating over and over in japanese and then shaky kicked him and knocked him out and then we had another match. Now, bear in mind, match number four started an hour and 50 minutes into the program. And we'd had about 10 minutes of wrestling in that hour and 50 minutes, and the match was almost versus already. Do you see this one, Brian? I saw the match. I don't remember the opponent's name, but I saw the well, match. He, no, he, he, but they, nobody else does either, but it was almost because he's almost ready to be a wrestler versus already because he was already in the ring. And almost one in one minute. So now we're up to four matches with 11 minutes of on-screen action. And then here we go with another draft. Road Dog and Molly Holly. I, I like Molly Holly, but what the fuck? Anyone who works next? there. Anyone who works there and is backstage. And now, ladies and gentlemen, presenting the next round of picks, Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan. They're not going to find them. Well, they, they're going to look for them on Most Wanted Treasures. Anyway, so Road Dog and Molly Holly uh, announced these. Uh, on Raw, Brown Strongman and Ricochet. Apparently, they're treating Brown as the draft pick, and Ricochet is just a tumor that's growing on his side. Oh, come on. To SmackDown, Shotzi. And, and I believe the tank goes with her. To Raw, speaking Bronson of, Reed. Speaking oh, of tanks, to Raw, Bronson Reed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which tank brother is he, Sherman or Septic? And then to SmackDown, Pretty Deadly from NXT, who looked pretty shady to me. And that was that. <laughs> round of drafts and then the judgment day came to the ring since they're still together and i i wrote i can't take another promo and i try zip, was gonna try to zip it and then 
Rey Mysterio and Zelina and Escobar come out and did a promo from the entranceway. Oh, and what no. the fuck? And I realized they're going to have a six man or a six person. You didn't or, see Dominic speak on the mic? I couldn't take it. Oh, it was it incredible. It, you wouldn't have heard anything. You've never heard a reaction like this. He can't get a word out. The fans won't let him speak. It's wish- so loud, the reaction, because everyone took their turn talking. Damian Priest did a really fired-up interview in Spanish about Bad Bunny. Finn Balor is, you know, Finn Balor. Rhea's great. They go to Dominic to speak. Everyone gets their turn. And the crowd got so loud he couldn't get a word out. It was incredible. He's got the most heat there. I wish the crowd would do that for all of these interviews until they can teach some of these people to get to the goddamn point. I Can you imagine what I would have done in my day, back in my day, if they said, okay, Cornette, you and so-and-so in the opening promo, now let's keep this under 20 minutes. It would, the- it would be like those promos you did on Fort Worth TV, but they said, go slower. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't let me talk fast because they were like, well, you did all the material in eight minutes. We had it down for 20. Good, I got it out of the way, so let's have some fucking action. Anyway. So they they do a six person, Ray, Escobar, and Zelina against Dominic, Rhea, and Priest. And again, I wouldn't have skipped the Judgment Day promo had there not been two fucking hours of talking in front of it. So then I think, okay, Rhea Ripley starts this match with Zelina Vega. And I thought, okay, I'll watch this. And they go 20 seconds, and then the men got in, and within two minutes, they'd gone to the break. And uh, okay, let's see what happens on the other side. Maybe three minutes later, Priest wins with a choke slam over Mysterio because he's going to the other show and they aren't going to cross paths anymore. They, there's no time. There's more people in the match than they get minutes on the air to do anything. So how do you... And I mean, I'm not saying they need to go 30 or 40 minutes either, like either the self-indulgent bullshit sometimes on AEW or the pay-per-view fiascos. Can't we get something that's just not too hot and not too cold, just right? There's no sense of urgency with anything on the show. And if you think about classic Raw when things were popping off, whether it was the Attitude Era or even before it, or even after it, when there's exciting stuff going on, there's a sense of urgency. There's never any of that on Raw. Oh, and and there was controlled panic in the back in those days because you had to be ready and you had to have your shit. You knew things were going to be happening and boom, 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 and everybody was on the game, right? It looked like firefighters going to to the guerrilla position. Now it's like fucking city council meeting. I'd like my five minutes to speak now. Um... And I mean, again, I know the matches don't all have to be 30 minutes, and sometimes it's better that they're not, but if you're not going to show a seven- or eight-minute match, don't put a commercial break in it. You're not hooking anybody with this. The paraplegics and people in an iron lung with no remote control may not change the channel when you go to the commercial, but, you know, a, a fucking, oh, my God, he's fallen down. We'll be back in four minutes. That don't keep you when dick buyer the destroyer came to 
Mid-South Wrestling in 84 because he had trained that Mark Reagan kid, and he came down and did two weeks in the territory with him, putting him over every night. The Destroyer, one of the biggest stars in the history of wrestling, at that point the most famous domestic masked man in the United States, and he every night was in the opening match putting over a kid that nobody had ever heard of because he trained him and he was a businessman. But when he first got there, because that's a, at that point, we were having seven matches on a card, and you didn't want the show to go, you know, bell time 7.30, we need to be out of the building 10 to 10, right? So Dundee goes up to him and says, Dick, just put him over however you want. Let's get about eight minutes. And Destroyer said, how the fuck can I have a match in eight minutes? He said, okay, well, just get it right then. So. He went out and went 18 minutes with this kid, tore the house down, and he was a master of psychology, but 18 minutes, the opening match. And this happened the next two or three nights, and then finally, they cut the time limit down to 15. So that he'd go 14. I think the, by the last two or three days, it was a 10-minute time limit match. But nevertheless, I digress, didn't I? Somewhat, but you what had were a point. We talking you about? had a point. I had a point, but if I comb my hair right, nobody will notice it. So then, Teddy Long and JBL, they were brought back from SmackDown Friday. They're a great announcing team. And boy, did they leave them the, the dregs uh, to announce. To Raw goes Otis and Shush Boy. To SmackDown Booger. They're calling him the Meat Mountain now. Yeah, what's that about? I, I, something about his personal life. I'm not sure. In Raw, or going to Raw, Katana Chance and Caden Carter. And to SmackDown, our boy we used to like and haven't seen him in a long, long time, Cameron Grimes. Who apparently has no chest hair at all now from the photo I saw that they put up. He's and that's what I'm afraid hair. of. Yeah, yeah that, that's the only thing that made him look interesting. When they shaved him, he just looked like a job guy with a bad body. Anyway, so that was the draft, and I, and and let me just make brief mention of the main event of the program, and then we'll talk about the auxiliary. Has there there's been another auxiliary yes. draft announcement, right? Supplemental picks. Supplemental picks. That's where you were, you were picking the first time, but you couldn't quite get all the fucking snots, so you had to go back and pick some more. But the main event, as well as wrestlers it. that were declared free agents. Yes, but that, does that mean they can just they can go to work for AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor or somebody else if they want to? No, it means they can go to Raw or SmackDown. I guess not even NXT, technically. So they're not the kind of free agent that CM Punk is where he can just go to other people's shows and just hang out and visit. No, that's an actual free agent if he's free of his contract, that is. Well, he's not free of his contract. He's just a free adult male over the age of 21 and able to do what he wants. So you need to respect his authority. He's just an agent, then, not a free agent. Well, in that case, we need to get him a better agent. How about Sergeant McCoy? Sergeant McCoy would do the job. All right, so we have had about 16 minutes of mostly bad wrestling in two hours and 50 minutes of this program. And the bell rang with 10 minutes on the air for solo and Seth Franklin Rollins. And I swear to God that they opened this match. Seth did by ducking away and leading the fans in singing twice in the ring and then bailed to the floor to do it. 
And after almost two minutes of doing that, they actually started fighting. Solo stopped him with a kick, and they went to the break. There's eight minutes left on the air, and they went to a three-and-a-half-minute commercial break. They come back with five minutes. Why, why come back at all? Why? It, 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 maybe it's, I've got to dig up some of my old formats because maybe I'm just going crazy, but when we had a main event on Raw back in the days when people actually watched it, we did everything we could to get it in the ring and give them uninterrupted time once the bell rang so that because the people, whether it's Austin or Undertaker or Triple H or Mankind or whoever the fuck it may be, we didn't want to just show a minute of it and then go to the break and come back with four minutes left. That's what was drawing the money was our stars. Oh, maybe I've answered my own question. Anyway, they came back. I got distracted by the pest control people that showed up and forgot to hit pause. And when I looked around, the show was already over and I didn't want to fast forward through two hours and 55 minutes to get back to where I was to see what fucking happened. What happened? What happened? That's, that's a good question. What happened? It, what, you didn't, it was 12 hours ago or less you saw it. I think Franklin... Uh, actually, I don't know. I, I don't even remember what happened. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. Well, who else got drafted? Oh, the supplemental... Well, that was raw, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, it certainly was. <laughs> I wish they'd have had a little Vaseline. It would have made it easier to take. And I'll find out who won that main event match shortly. Here are the supplemental yeah. picks, Jim. The America is dying to know. I bet you I bet you the Usos had something to do with it. These were revealed. I believe the Usos did run in. And then uh, the usual stuff. I do remember that now. See, it's not like I didn't watch it. I watched it, and I just don't remember. But as soon as you brought up the Usos, I remembered a little bit. These supplemental picks were announced on... Raw Talk, which airs immediately after Raw on WWE social media. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Airs on social WWE social media. What does that mean? And streaming platforms. It does say that here. And okay, where what? If I wanted to watch, what do the what do they call it? WWE after Raw Talk. After after talk, Raw Talk. Tell me verbally exactly where to go to see that program right now. I've never watched that program. I would assume based on this description, you could probably see it on Peacock, perhaps on YouTube at some point, maybe clips of it on Twitter, Twitter and Facebook, Pornhub, dare I say? <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, but let's go to these supplemental picks. All right. Drafted by Raw, where he'll be staying, Akira Tozawa. Also remaining on Raw, Dana Brooke. <laughs> Raw picks up a big one from SmackDown. Emma. Coming to Raw. Emma. Emmeline. Prettiest girl I've ever seen. Oh, hot chocolate. Leaving NXT for SmackDown will be Grayson Waller. Oh, joy. Also leaving NXT, but going to Raw. A faction I'm not too aware of. Indus Sure. Comprised of Jinder Mahal, Sangha, and Veer Mahan. What, what, what is their team name? I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Indus Sure. 
I-N-D-U-S, and then the next word is S-H-E-R, sure. Like John Sure, but sure. Sure. All sure. Right. Sure. So who are these people? Jinder Mahal, who was a former Veer, world Veer, champion. Veer, Mc, Veer McMahon. Veer Mahan. And Jinder Mahal. Jinder Mahal. And who? Sanga. Is he the guy that has the coffee? That's Sanka. Oh. That's Sanka. You're getting Sanka and Sanga. I, lo I love the Sanga about the... <laughs> See, it doesn't work. All right. Well, uh, let me go back to about this the list. the Manga and the Jenga and the Panga. All right. Staying on Raw, Johnny Gargano. Oh, boy. I, well, now that puts my mind at rest. I was afraid he'd be off television where I didn't have to see him anymore. Leaving SmackDown for Raw, Los Lotharios, Angel and Humberto. Remaining on Raw, going nowhere, Nikki Cross. Talk about going nowhere. Leaving NXT for Raw, he's on an Odyssey, Odyssey Jones. Oh, you know what? That was the guy you were raving about. Where the fuck? Well, he, I guess he's we been watched. on NXT that we <laughs> gave up watching, but I actually want to see... If he's improved, he's a big guy. He had all kinds of personality. He could move around. let us uh, I'm interested in seeing something of that. He will be on Raw. I'm, I'm not interested in seeing much of that, but I'll hold my nose for Odyssey Jones. Also remaining on Raw, Piper Niven. Uh, moving from SmackDown to Raw, Riddick Moss. Not Madcap, Riddick Moss. That's a step in the right direction. From Raw to SmackDown goes Tamina. <laughs> Is she really that Mina? We're going from SmackDown to Raw. She's Amina. And I can't do it, I guess. Yeah, see it. It's <laughs> gotta be Singer. About the moon and the June and the Springer. Tamina is Samina and yeah, it doesn't work. Tamina is Samina. Have you seen her? Alright, well, going from SmackDown to Raw will be Tegan Knox. Also, Zia Lee. Well, good for them. The following wrestlers, Jim, were declared free agents on Raw Talk. Elias has been declared a free agent. He's allowed to appear on any show. I don't actually, I think from direct uh, uh, rules from the office, he's not allowed to appear really on any show. They, they have buried him lately. Going uh, now a free agent, Zion Quinn. From NXT. Um, boy, he's he's got the problem that Fatu had in nineteen ninety seven. They got too many Samoans. Is that I don't know who Zion Quinn is. I haven't seen he, him. He, he's he, an Australian uh, he, it says here he's an Australian professional wrestler and former rugby player. He looks Samoan to me. Well, we'll see what the Australians think about that. Also declared free agents Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. I mean, at, at this point, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be Cedric's press agent. I think he's talented also, but Shelton Benjamin, what the fuck? This guy is still, the, he looks like he hasn't aged a day in 20 years. He's one of the most athletic people they've ever had on the roster. He's a tremendous worker. He's never going to have a fucking anything go on where he's got a personal problem or makes the company look bad or gets any kind of the wrong kind of headlines. And they 
bring him back and just treat him like shit. And just, you know, the other day he and Cedric did a job in two minutes for who dat. Uh, they didn't even get an entrance. I don't understand why they're even bothering. He's a talent and he can still go. What is he now? Not even to his mid forties. I don't think. And look at the shape he's in and always has been in. 47. Well, good. Okay, good Lord then. Well, and then even better. He's been in the same shape for the past 25 fucking years. The one of the one of the and almost everybody that's ever worked with him in any capacity, both as opponents, as trainers, as whatever, said he's probably one of the most athletic people that's ever been in the company. And is never an issue, and and can do everything. And I mean, look at the the rest of the field, and you can't figure out a way to use Shelton Benjamin better than you are with the rest of these numb nuts out there tripping all over themselves and falling all over their balls. Anyway, that's just a fucking editorial from me. So who else? Are you even there? I was on mute. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Cedric and Shelton are now free agents. So is MVP and Omos. So we'll see if anything is done with there or done there in the future. Well, and, and we mentioned that the other day and that they don't want to put almost on the same show all the time. People get tired of him as they already probably are. At least this way he can bop around where they see fit. The final two free agents, the first one already announced Brock Lesnar. And the second one, the final free agent, Baron Corbin. <laughs> like I said, you know, they have a reason for a couple. With Brock, he's going to show up sparingly. They don't want to paint themselves in a corner. They can put him wherever. With almost for the reason we just said. For most everybody else, it's because they're just using them as jobbers anyway, and they can just go and get beat by whoever the fuck that, you know, needs to beat them. And so the free agents are, normally in sports, the free agents are the big stars, right? Well, no, anyone can be a free agent. There are plenty of people You just hear that... about all the big-time free agents. Well, the big-time free agents get the big-time contracts. Yeah, well, uh, these free agents get the big-time jobs. Well, we'll see how things work out in the wonderful world of the WWE. But, Jim, before we move on, real quick, let me get your uh, thoughts on some breaking news. It is being reported that today, today being as we are recording the day that AEW All-In in London at Wembley Stadium tickets went on sale, 35,000 tickets oh, during the pre-sale. That's a heck of a fucking pop there. Um, That's a heck so of a pre-sale. in... Well, yeah, they're they're in second place automatically, right? In terms of all time British UK crowds, yeah. Well, UK counting Wales and all the other environment because Cardiff just did thirty three thousand, right, for the WWE. That was second place. And yeah, th this is a happening, and it's, it's not only that, but it's something they can't do it in this country because it's not. A big, as big a novelty that you would see live AEW the first time they go over there. This is the same thing as the first time in New York at the Arthur Ashe Stadium, etc. It's a happening. It's an event. Everybody wants to be part of it. Everybody except some of the people on the roster. I would have to think that if you're a British wrestling fan, this has to be one of the biggest things to happen in a long time. 
Yeah, and just and going to Wembley Stadium because that's a, a an attraction I would think kind of on its own to see wrestling in that environment, which hasn't happened in how long's it been Ever. now? Thirty. One of this Wembley, this no. version of Wembley has never had wrestling. What? So it's not the same Wembley Stadium as Bulldog and uh... no. Ah, well, there you go. Historic. We did, when they opened the new Charlotte Coliseum, we did the first wrestling show there. We did like 3,000 people more than the, well, 2,000 more than the old Coliseum would have held just because they all the people in Charlotte wanted to see the new building. So that helps. Everything's helping. And then the question becomes, for the regular sale, because I know you had to sign up and get a code or whatever. But for the regular sale, I would think the most motivated people are already there. So then the regular sale, is is it five or is it 10,000 or whatever? And then do they have a schlog at that point? Not like they haven't paid for the thing already with 40 or 50,000 people. But, you know, I, I would assume that then that would kind of be where they stay unless they come up with some kind of incredible last-minute promotion or... Announce Punk and the main event's going to kick the shit out of the EVPs. That would draw some money. You know, Punk in Chicago, when he first debuted, was one of those times where the house and the rating was drawn based on assumption. I mean, everyone knew he was going to be there, but it was never said. It was just assumed. They did 35000 in pre-sales based on what people think could be the card, who could be there. What do you think about the era of you know, we've seen it for a while with AEW and the original All In before that, but it's not just confined to that. The era of the anticipation driving ticket sales more than maybe the actual card being announced. Yeah, and I don't think if they had announced the card necessarily, unless it's that key match that I talked about, they can't put on anything else that's not, I'm not saying it's not attractive, but the only match that AEW has that is markedly different from any other main event match or title match or whatever that they've already promoted somewhere would be the six man with punk and whoever, whether it be FTR or whoever against the EVPs, that would be not only the, the smart fans, you know, wet dream, but also for the, it would make, the EVPs palatable to the people who like wrestling and don't like the, the childish bullshit because they would have hope that something was going to go wrong and they were going to get the shit kicked out of them live on the air. So you've got that intrigue also. So I don't know whether they're going to do it or not going to do it. They're probably not going to do it because we know that the buckaroos are pussies and Kenny's just confused. Punk Jericho, that's what they'll do. Well, and, and that may be okay, but people aren't going to be clamoring for that because there's no, there's legitimate heat behind it, but there hadn't been real fisticuffs. And so, anyway, point being, if they wanted to really do everything they could, they'd do that match. But the people that work for Tony that take his millions of dollars, they're not really motivated to draw the most money for the company. They want to do what they want to do. So, but they're still doing very well. No, they certainly did fantastic for the first day here but for pre-sale. It, but it's a, it's a happening thing. That's why I'm saying I don't think the card being announced would have made any difference because it's a happening. It's the first time ever. It's a special location with a, a devoted and motivated core fan base. 
And that's pretty daggum strong. 35,000 or whatever. We'll see. They'll probably top out somewhere at 50, I would think, at that point. You know, real quick on Punk and Jericho, if they did that there, I actually think it would be stronger with no fisticuffs going into it. Just give us a month, two months of these guys cutting promos, never getting physical. As soon as they get no, physical. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm t- I was talking about the real shit. Oh, I'm not oh, talking oh. about doing an angle. I'm talking about there's been a legitimate fight between Punk and the Pussy Brothers. That's And people know it. He hasn't fought Jericho, no. He hasn't fought Jericho for real yet. I'm not talking about angles. There's still time. There's time. But I'm, I'm, so that's what I mean when I say fisticuffs. Well, Jim, real quick before we move on, as I said before, before we uh, moved on, but uh, <laughs> let's preview this weekend's backlash, which is coming from Puerto Rico, from San Juan, WWE backlash this Saturday as we are recording right now. What's the big card there, Brian? Let me take some notes. The big card, uh, as listed on Wikipedia, we're not going to play that game again where I go to their actual website. In a San Juan street fight, Bad Bunny versus Damian Priest. And somebody tweeted me after I said last week, so this uh, a musician comes in with a kendo stick and beats up a six foot seven, 250 pound pro wrestler. And why couldn't they have put him in a, you know, a, a match with a tag match or whatever where he's protected? And somebody said, well, He's already wrestled once. Remember, you and Brian thought he did a good job. Yes, remember, he wrestled once with Damian Priest as his partner against, and I can't even remember who the opponents were, but he didn't embarrass himself. It was WrestleMania a couple years ago. He didn't embarrass himself. He didn't look bad, but it was a tag team match where you could have a guy do his shit, but there was still technically a wrestler on the team. Now it's one-on-one, a recording artist that's had one professional wrestling match is going to fight in a street fight against this guy that's a foot taller and blah, blah, blah. And that's where, that's the kind of thing that I say, even if he does a good job, then that just makes people believe that this stuff is easy and everybody can do it. And if he doesn't do a good job, then you got a shitty fucking match. So. You know, they've sold the soul of the integrity of the wrestler's toughness aura to have a musician be... Is he going to get beat? I think... How are you going to beat Bugs Bunny in Puerto Rico? They'll have a riot. Damien Priest will have his guts cut out. My God, they used to try to set fire to the fucking heels just for fucking one of the other wrestlers, much less a native countryman hero. So I just, I have a hard time buying that singles, one-on-one, street fight, no rules. Damien Priest ain't going to be able to beat Bucks Bunny. Go ahead. For the Raw Women's Championship, the champion Bianca Belair versus EO Sky with Bailey and Dakota Kai. But now Rhea Ripley is wrestling Zelina Vega on the card too, right? That is correct, yes. Okay, so then then you won't get real mad at me if I skip this one. No, actually, I won't. I really won't. Okay, because, and again, somebody's going, you know, like Bianca. No, I don't want to see Bianca wrestle fucking Sky and Kai and Ty and what, whoever the fuck else. Well, the next match, 
a triple threat match for the yeah. WWE United States Championship. The champion, Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed. And you can tell they have writers now instead of bookers because after Lashley and Reed had that stinker of a single match against each other, and we saw that there's a style clash and they need to have things set up and move at a slower pace that they can keep up with and make the big things register and tell a story, they throw them in a three-way where it's going to be a fucking mess and it's almost impossible to tell a story. And hopefully Theory will emerge still as U.S. champion because he's the future of the company amongst the three of the people that we just talked about. Although, if they get Bronson Reed out of his suit and stop letting people know that his mother called him Mr. Nice Guy, I'm very interested in Bronson Reed. And poor Bobby Lashley. What happened to the thought of the Hurt Business reuniting? Apparently that's gone away. And he's still standing over there in the corner with his his dick in his hand because it, it just he looks lonely. Well, the next match, Jim, a singles match. Seth Franklin Rollins versus almost with MVP. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I'm sure Seth is going to take some interesting, creative, inventive bumps off the, the big feller. And again, Seth has to win, but how do you keep beating this seven and a half foot giant without rendering him completely useless? And uh, wait a minute, Seth, who'd Seth get drafted by or two? Is he switching sides? No, I think he's staying on Raw. Where's Almost going? Almost is a free agent. He can oh, go anywhere. I can't wants. even say that. I was going to say that Mike could get away with beating fucking Seth, beating him illegally, cheating, and then they're never around each other anymore, but that doesn't even work, so I give up. And I guess they're not even building to a Seth versus Roman match after that opening segment with Heyman and Seth. It was just the Seth solo thing at the end of the show. But Jim, our next match, Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. Okay, but next match, that better be the last one. If that's not the main event... Not the main event. What? Okay, well... Uh, in that case, um, I think Cody has to win this. I really do. I really think that Cody needs to beat Brock Lesnar one, two, three, in some form or fashion in the middle of the ring because he got beat at WrestleMania. And even if he's chasing, you can't jog if you're chasing. You got to run. He's got to do something big, and I think he's got to do it here. I would be astonished if they do not, in some way, take some of the goodwill out of uh, Brock's bank and put it into Cody's account with a win over Brock Lesnar, which doesn't happen every day. But stranger things have happened. They did at WrestleMania. Now, what could be the fucking main event? The main event? Matt Riddle, Kevin oh, Owens, and Sami Zayn versus the bloodline of Solo Sokoa, Jay Uso, and Jimmy Uso with Paul Heyman. I agree that that is a, a 
excellent match, a main event level match, a storyline driven match. The angles pointed to it, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see how you can advertise that on top of Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. Having said that, um, I don't know where the bloodline thing is going now that they've slowed it down to a glacial pace, but one would think that uh, the baby faces need to win that because if, especially if it's on last, they were going to send people home happy, but also because there will be some business between the Usos and Solo that might cause them to be, to have a hiccup and the baby faces capitalize on it. And we didn't actually, we talked about, we mentioned it, Rhea Ripley is wrestling Zelina Vega. And oh, that's my, right. I yes, skipped over well, that we glossed it. over it. Yeah, sorry. But my money's on Ripley, obviously, because they ain't going to switch the title just because it's in the one girl's hometown. And she don't need to beat Rhea Ripley in any other city in the country or the world. So I think Ripley retains there. And Well, what about the idea that Zelina Vega will be staying on SmackDown and Rhea Ripley won't? I You can't... I don't agree with defeating Rhea Ripley right now, for the record. But yeah, but the again, even if that's like saying, well, okay, well, George South was going to be in Columbia, South Carolina next week, whereas Flair is going to be in Japan for two weeks. So let's put George over Flair on TV for Columbia's sake. No, I don't think there's a universe where Zelina Vega defeats Rhea Ripley right now, regardless of where she's going. Not in any logical universe. Well, that's what Jim thinks. We'll find out what you, the listeners, and Sergeant McCoy think at a later time. But <laughs> Jim, a lot of this, uh, I guess to go down to Puerto Rico and win this big match that Cody has to do against Brock Lesnar to set things up so he can go to Saudi Arabia for the Night of Champions and the American Nightmare could win the world title uh, somewhere other than America now that I think about it. <laughs> but I guess to do all these things, you really This need... is starting to sound like a transition. You need guts. You need lots of guts to do these things, and I'm sure with guts, you need gut health. You need a healthy gut. That's first and foremost. That's the biggest thing you need is a healthy gut. You gotta have a healthy gut. I've said it a million times. I will say it until the day I die, and when I die, I will not die of an unhealthy gut, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, that's what happened to Brock Lesnar. What? To your point, Brian. Well, he's alive. He well, no, he. I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about an unhealthy gut. He had, at one time, an unhealthy gut. Diverticulitis when he was the UFC champion. Fucked him all up. It can happen. If it can take the beast Brock Lesnar down, then it can take anybody down. You know, our friends at Seed, they got this whole thing figured out. Because Lord knows nobody's been able to explain the whole in and outs and rigmarole to me. But, you know, nurturing... Brian, our gut microbiome is important to support a resilient immune system. That's what I always say. I've said it a million. Mama Cornette used to say it. And basically what that means is if, if you eat shit, you'll shit in, shit out. You, you are what you eat. You eat shit, you're a shithead. Well, you're a shit gut. Well, you're just full of shit. The point is the gut and the immune system work together to carefully coordinate our body's response to the world around and within us. An intrinsic connection known as the gut immune axis. Now, this is not a bad axis, like in World War II. 
This is a, the gut immune axis. Basically, everything, it's like a flywheel, Brian. It re, Everything revolves around it. Even before we are born, did you know this? Microbes help set the foundation of our immune system, teaching our body how to distinguish between benign substances and pathogenic antigens. And you know what they are? They're bad news. Oh, yeah. So the point is, of all this, ladies and gentlemen, you're never going to fucking figure out why that all the shit that gurgulates and cohabulates inside your stomach works the way it does. You leave it to the professionals. Because when they try to explain it to you, the micronutrient synthesis and the probiotics and the prebiotics and the antibiotics, you don't know what the fuck's going on. Leave it to the pros. And our friends at Seed have it all figured out. Seeds, DS01 Daily Symbiotic. See, not a probiotic or an antibiotic or a prebiotic or a postbiotic, a symbiotic. It encompasses everything. It's got synergy. You see where I'm going with this. You take some of this shit every day, you will probably not drop over of an unhealthy gut. And you won't be forced to lose the UFC championship. So, if you go right now to seed.com, S-E-E-D, you know you plant a seed, Brian, and you water that seed, and you, you nutrient that seed, and you care for that seed, and that seed one day sprouts into a healthy gut. You go to seed.com right now, seed.com slash drive, and use the code drive to get 25% off your first months of Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Now you can continue to just go without a daily symbiotic, and it's no skin off my nose. What's going to happen to you? But I guarantee you that it'll make your knees freeze, your liver quiver, and your spleen turn green. You'll be walking around, you'll either turn into a werewolf or you'll have jaundice around the gills and look like some kind of goddamn creature from the Blue Lagoon. So go right now to seed.com slash drive and use the code drive to get 25% off your first month of the aforementioned Seeds DS01 daily symbiotic because Lord knows what the hell might happen to you if you're not taking this stuff. That's right, Seed. Who knows, yeah. if Brock Lesnar had been on Seed, maybe he would have become a cowboy years earlier. Either that or he wouldn't have gone to Seed if he'd have been on the Seed. Take care of your colon, folks. Your colon takes care of you if you take care of it. If you, you know, take clean it out every once in a while, send somebody in to straighten up, and and take the seed symbiotic, then your colon will care for you. Intestinal fortitude. Is that just diarrhea? No, no. Intestinal seepage would be diarrhea. Intestinal fortitude would be when, well, then you'd be impacted because fortitude, it's all solidified and fortified, homogenized, pasteurized, I don't know what. But it would be the opposite of diarrhea. Well, have intestinal fortitude and the opposite of an unhealthy gut with seed. Did I ever tell you the story about one of the members of Public Enemy and explosive diarrhea in David Penzer's room. No, I, I can't. I, I can't actually say that some people may still be alive, but there was an explosive diarrhea situation. It was one of those Sturgis pay-per-views. Keep going. 
I can't say anymore. It involved potential criminal conduct with somebody who I have not named and will not name, and one of the ladies that had traveled to Sturgis for the occasion, and the somebody not stopping before they got enough, and the next thing you know, there's a bucket and a mop being requested from the office, and it was terrible. Walls were damaged. What the fuck? Anyway, this is your program. All right, and that was the downfall of WCW. Jim... Uh, they weren't welcome back in Sturgis and in certain hotels after that. I'm still not quite sure what's going on, but Jim, let's uh, talk about something we talked a little bit about earlier. AEW All-In at Wembley Stadium, the pre-sale. It was 35 earlier. It is now over 40,000 tickets that have been sold. Oh! Tony Khan on Twitter, and rightly so, has been in a celebratory mood. This is great news for his company. This is a pretty amazing pre-sale Let, let's let's face it, it's jaw-dropping it's jaw-dropping based on the fact that this has turned into a again uh, multiple times what was the original all-in multiple times that that was a a movement amongst fans and like fuck the big guys we're going with the 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 new kid on the block we're going with our sentimental favorite and they're doing it again on an even bigger scale it's fascinating. Well, apparently a reporter from ESPN, he covers boxing, Mike Coppinger. Hope that's how you pronounce his last name. It could be a hard G. You never know. Hearing Wembley is scaled for only 40000 for AEW. Far cry from last April when I was ringside for Tyson Fury versus Dillian White. <laughs> and it was packed to the brim with 94000 Nothing beats the big fight feel at Wembley. Well, uh, okay, that was kind of, um, I will admit, a backhanded way to look at things for poor old uh, AEW there. When you say, well, I, I was there and when, you know, the, the Stones played in Rio and there were 200,000 people there boxing and, and the hometown, home country hero Tyson Fury may not necessarily be the proper application to a wrestling show. Well, Tony Khan responded on Twitter. Since you carry the credentials of a credible reporter and represent the worldwide leader, I'm just curious, who is your source for this? And how can a reporter representing ESPN tweet something about a legit news story that's so blatantly wrong and easily verified as a falsehood? So there's Tony Khan smacking back a little bit and i don't have any problem with that actually do you no no that that was that was the good one i think that was right to the point but he did another one didn't he tony khan responded again lies all in caps <laughs> what a load of crap tell your agent nick khan <laughs> to shove it up his ass <laughs> okay that's where <laughs> we almost got I get the closest thing Tony has ever come to, to like a, a Vince McMahon presidential, like, you know, head of the company tweet. Well, here you call yourself a journalist. And these are obviously lies that are verifiable elsewhere. He sounded professional. And he comes back and says, by the way, tell Nick kind of shove it up his ass. <laughs> On the same tweet, I believe. I believe he's yeah. responding to the same tweet that he wrote the other. Yeah. <laughs> Message, um, well, let's discuss this. In general, 
I don't have a problem with someone defending their business from lies or anything like that. I think that's a good thing. Do you have a problem with that with Tony being the owner, the GM, the head of creative, the janitor, everything he does for AEW? In that role, do you have a problem with someone in that role responding to a reporter? Uh, in general, let alone the way he did in the first or second tweet. Wouldn't no, and, and first of all, this guy uh, is not even. I assume he's a, he covers boxing. He might be a real journalist somewhere, right? And just dipped in with his point of view. So it's not like he the Tony is arguing on Twitter with a guy that has 116 followers or something and writes a, a blog somewhere. No, the guy uh, has a hundred thousand followers, so he has. Yeah, audience. okay, so he, so he's a voice, and he said something that apparently, as now we see, they've sold forty thousand tickets. You can open up more seats, right? So anyway, the guy was not only incorrect in his tweet, but also a little fucking condescending. So the first one you read was great, and I was like, "Yeah, Tony, there you go. That's the way to put somebody in their place and sound like the owner of the company." But then he, and by the way, tell Nick Khan, his chief rival, right? Who, one of the main uh, major domos in the WWE. Uh, did you even see Vince McMahon? There wasn't Twitter, but there was America Online or whatever in 1997. Did Vince ever say, and by the way, tell Eric Bischoff to shove it up his ass? If Vince McMahon had Twitter in 1996, do you think we would have seen, forget about Bischoff, would we have seen some tweets? You know, fuck you, Ted Turner. No, 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 we wouldn't have. Um, see, that's the thing. He went from one extreme to the other. And, it, like, I can tell people to shove it up their ass on Twitter because I'm the president and CEO and chief creative officer for Jim fucking Cornette. <laughs> right? So I can say, because I'm speaking for myself. But when Tony is supposed to be the head of the company, on he's running Wembley Stadium. It, is there a, I, I mean, I know there's been the, the Billy Martins and the, you know, the, the loose cannons in the baseball world, but do any of the major league baseball owners tell owners of their competitive teams to shove anything up their ass or fuck you on Twitter? I don't believe that's ever happened. I don't think they could get away with saying it to a journalist. Even I think they would probably get suspended or some kind of issue with major league baseball. I'm not quite certain, but you don't see that again. It's a different kind of operation because there is a commissioner overseeing the league. But I guess to your point, you don't see the commissioner saying, stick it up your ass. Yeah. Someone from the New York post. <laughs> stick it up your ass. Stick it up your ass. Stick it up your ass. But see that that's the thing is Tony is again, he's done so many of these, you know, wild eyed statements and announcements. He's ha he has the hug fest at the media scrums. That leads to the embarrassing freeze frames where it makes him, again, look childlike. And just some of the way he's done things when he's been on camera in a public eye before. And then, again, sooner or later, the blind squirrel finds a nut. He's talking not only to a journalist, but he is referencing. And did he did he at Nick Khan or just mention no. his name or did he put his? Well, I'm sure Nick will hear about it and probably fucking bust out laughing, the kid. But uh, Tony all of a sudden has an opportunity to honestly, truthfully put a journalist who issued or made a 
incorrect statement in his place. And then he follows it up because he's so mad. All he's the petulant child comes out and tell Nick Connor, shove it up his ass. Fuck. You know, we saw this a little bit with the Ariel Hawani situation with Tony, where after the fact, I think it was after the fact, but Tony talked about the fact that Ariel had been represented by Nick Khan. He thought that's why he was getting a hard time in his eyes. Once again, we're seeing it here. A reporter, I presume, represented by Nick Khan before he became the president of WWE. Tony's coming there with this. Do you think there's anything there that's legit? I mean, the fact that Nick Khan is the competition. Do you think Tony's reasonable in thinking that maybe some of his former clients are doing some you know, work for him or not work, but doing well, his bidding, no, I guess. Well, if, if they've had a previous relationship, they too many pronouns, pal, being Nick Khan and this uh, meningitis character. What's his name? Mike Coppinger or Coppinger. Coppinger. Coppinger falls. Slowly I turned. Um, it, Maybe they're friends and maybe the journalist says, well, this... You know, this guy, my friend Nick runs a bigger company. And he so he took a shot and Tony had the material and the delivery on the first one to slap him down and put in. It would have been wonderful there. It doesn't matter. what. Yes, the guy's probably taken up for his friend. I don't think Nick Khan specifically told this one guy when you know. When you imagine the number of important people that Nick Khan knows is in his social circle in his business circle i don't think he just told this guy hey if i could take a shot at tony khan the guy's probably doing it freelance and got slapped down but then nick khan and his ass has to be brought in and things have to be shoved up it and that's what i am laughing at because that's what then took one of tony's few public triumphs and turned it into a fucking rib again and he says, tell Nick Khan. Is he supposed to call Nick Khan? And by the way, I was just uh, having an hour with Tony on Twitter. Yeah, he says, take your shit and shove it up his ass. Or shove shit? it up your ass. This idea. He's saying, take your idea and shove it up your ass. Yeah. <sighs> but I, I don't have a problem in general. I mean, again, the way you do it, you want to, you know, it's a, there's an art to it. <laughs> but I don't have a problem in general with Tony defend. Like, the people who just think Tony shouldn't say anything ever to defend his company on Twitter. I don't think that's right. I think he should be able to. Well, yes, except, honestly, I understand the reason why somebody, some people may say Tony shouldn't ever say anything on Twitter because sometimes he comes off like Tony. But in theory and in principle, yes, if you are the owner of the company or the owner of anything or anybody, you should be able to have the right to defend yourself or state your case especially if somebody's given misinformation out but when you attain a certain status of you know being a boss of a multi-million dollar company or you know for example these batshit insane fucking politicians who are elected for some reason because many stupid people identify with them and they have to blurt things out there should be some level of professionalism involved as you attain some type of status instead of just going in being a monkey and flinging shit at the walls. Or just being like me and don't give a shit, but I'm only talking for me. Well, Jim, let's stay on the topic of AEW. 
Uh, several people have been sending in questions about this. Reports that AEW Dark, as well as AEW Elevation, have both either concluded or are about to conclude with the purported new Saturday show on the horizon. Season finales. <laughs> um, well, obviously, you can't just... And from when we've read the results of especially the, well, I can't remember which is dark and which is elevation or whatever the fuck, but especially the YouTube programming in general, they're, they're not doing separate television programs. They're just, they're giving guys reps and girls reps. And unfortunately, they're giving them reps with each other. So it's not like they're out in front of people on a regular basis working with those more experienced in any kind of competitive matches. It's like squashes, get people over, use the people that we've got under contract and we're paying for some God unknown reason for years, but we can't put them on television because we've passed that point and they're not ready for it and probably never will be that type of talent. So they're, they've just been doing filler and it still costs money and it's expensive and it wears people out. It wears their crowds out, whatever. If they're going to be adding another two-hour program, as we've led to believe it is on Saturday nights, in addition to two hours on Wednesday and an hour that apparently now floats around on the weekends, because was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? Did the chicken lay the egg or did the egg hatch the chicken? Whatever. Did people just completely quit watching Rampage because it turned into a show that just stunk and nobody gave a shit or vice versa they can't be just doing that much more programming of meaningless matches and i would hope that they would pare their roster down of some of the people that we have not seen on a meaningful i heard sunny kiss is still wrestling on youtube we haven't seen sunny kiss on tv in two years and i'd I'm crossing my fingers to keep that string alive. But they need to pair out people that they've obviously already deemed not capable of being on television or not necessary on television and concentrate on establishing more regularity, whether it be on Wednesday or on Saturday or on Friday or whatever the fuck, of the talent they do have that can be helpful for the future and get people more familiar with them instead of seeing somebody that has a half an opportunity to be something and you don't see them again for six or eight weeks or whatever. I think that might be something they need to already look at if they're not doing already. I see some reporting here. Andrew Zarian reporting, AW Dark and Dark Elevation have ended for the time being. This in part has to do with AEW signing a new deal for AEW Collision to air on Saturdays. Part of the new deal is that AEW wrestling content will exclusively air on Warner Brothers Discovery. As of today, that doesn't include ROH. So, the exclusivity, I assume, covers YouTube. Goodbye YouTube shows. Well, yeah, but uh, again, it's not like these were fully formed television shows with interviews and angles and ready to go out is just meaningless matches with their underneath talent that Tony amassed and has never had the balls to give notice to cut contracts, cut costs, whatever for people that he's been paying for years. 
And uh, again, I've seen a lot of people, and I'm not trying to pick him apart here, but my God, as Kerry Silken said to me one time when I first went to Ring of Honor, what am I running? Make a wish. Yes. You've got to have some. Yes. Well, yeah, at that point he was. (laughs) You've got to have some kind of fiscal responsibility. And if you've got a new television program, you can literally cut 10 names that you're paying $100,000 a year to. And folks, from what I've heard, some people were making at the start and getting contracts. That could be the janitor. You cut 10 guys making 100 grand a year that are never on television and, and working on YouTube or just pissing around the back. And there's a million dollars you can offer to two main event talents next time a couple come available to populate this extra two hours of television real estate on national cable. Or you determine, because remember we went through the roster, there was a hundred and what, 30, 40 names that we could come up with? You determine that if 20 of those people never appeared on AEW again in any form, the fans wouldn't set the seats on fire. They probably wouldn't even notice. And you take that $2 million a year and you put that toward any number of fresh new talents that you feel at least they may not be any better than the other ones, but at least they're different and see what they can do. And then you're not even, or you could just save some fucking money, but let's, let's go with the idea that Tony doesn't care about saving money because he's got plenty of it. And yes, they're grossing a fucking fortune, but add up, 150 fucking wrestling talents and we know the top end of that's in the seven figures and just give the bottom fucking hundred a hundred thousand dollars a year and see what their talent budget is so it revenue is not profit but i'm i'm just saying if they've got two more hours on television they need names instead of numbers they instead of a lot of fucking Guys and girls, they need important guys and girls. I'll I'll end that there. With the caveat that you and I don't watch dark elevation or dark uh without elevation, ground level dark. <laughs> AEW has a lot of people. Stop. AEW has a lot of people there. As you said, it's a big roster. We only see, you know, 80 or 90 people every Wednesday night on Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> What do you do? I mean, if you have all these people, we've heard, we, I mean, there are people they use that have been there for a few years. They were young. They're still young, but at what point do you try to break someone out? At what point do you try to just mix it up somehow? And on the other side, what does it say that no one's breaking out on any of these shows and literally being elevated? Well, no, they, they plenty of them have broke out, but they got captured and sent back. <laughs> Think about it. Over the period of time, have it, remember when the Jamie Hayter could have fucking turned around and dropped a heel Britt Baker on her head and the people would have stood up and thrown babies in the air? Remember when Wardlow was over? Remember at one point when Starks was hot right in there in the middle of somewhere? It may be before they threw him on his head and broke his neck. I don't know. There have been numerous instances. FTR. They were standing and stomping and, oh, my God. And They were chanting their names when they weren't even out there. Yes. 
And so plenty have broken out, but nobody capitalized on it because it wasn't Tony's plan. And in some cases, the EVPs were against it. And so therefore they didn't do anything to encourage it to be cult cultivated. And in other cases, they're too stupid to see it or, or it just, one of, I think the side effects of having a mind like Tony's is that you, you in your mind think that this is all intricately arranged and plotted out so that if everybody just remembers every minute granular detail, they will realize that this makes so much sense. You see where I'm going with this? That's in his mind. That he wasn't going to deviate to do what the fans were screaming for because what he had in mind was so much better. And then the opportunity passes and these people that broke out are captured and returned to confinement. All right. Well, let's uh, return to the confinement of some of these questions here, Jim. And sometimes they add time to their sentence for the breakout. Jim, this next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Christopher Albright. Recently, I saw a video of Teddy Long speaking to Bill Apter about The Miz giving up his first-class seat to Teddy Long and going to sit and coach. My questions are, how and when does a wrestler know when it is okay to go sit in first class? <laughs> is it always the protocol for a wrestler to give up their seat to another wrestler who has been in the business longer? Has Jim ever heard any stories of wrestlers being accidentally given first-class seating? And when was the first time Jim was invited on Crockett's plane? Okay, there are all kinds of questions there, and I was laughing about the first one. So let's start at the beginning. Go back, and, and what was the first one? The first question, how does a wrestler know when it is okay to go sit in first class? Well, it, it's not just ever okay to go sit in first class. You have to have a fucking ticket to begin with. It's not just like open seating. This is not Southwest <laughs> Airlines. So the thing is, there has been heat in the past with younger guys. Uh, what we used to do back in the 80s, I don't know what they do these days. I haven't flown in a while, and I'm happy about it. But back in the 80s, especially all of us were frequent flyers, right? So every airline, Delta, U.S. Air, whatever, had a deal back then that frequent flyers could upgrade to first class if there were seats available for a set fee if it was under oh god damn it something just imagine this is kind of sorta if it was under a 500 mile flight you could upgrade your ticket that you had if you had a full fare full coach fare ticket you could upgrade to first class for $40 for under 500 miles 500 to 1000 miles or 500 1500 whatever was like 60 and and over that was $80. And if they had first class seats, you could get them. And since Crockett had already bought our tickets and sometimes we had the full fare ticket or say in Charlotte we knew all the gate agents we could finagle. You could fly first class for like 40 or $80 and be more comfortable and we would do that. But then everyone's way you'd have the fucking deal where you know, some an underneath guy might have been able to do that, and there goes fucking 
you know, one of the top guys, Tully, would give you the stink eye if he's headed back to coach because he didn't get there in time, right? And all his seats were gone or whatever. And we sometimes we'd try to get there early to be the first one to be able to upgrade. But for the most part, there were only a few guys like Flair and Dusty, and I think the Road Warriors had first-class tickets. You know, this was for Crockett in their contracts. And then... Did Luger? Uh, and Luger. Yes, because remember that was the time I sat next to Luger in first class and I asked him if he'd ever watched wrestling in Memphis when he played oh, that's right. you know, football there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it was on when we came in the locker room, but I never really watched wrestling. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then I'd asked him, I said, and this is why Lex came off in those days bad to some of the guys, but he didn't realize it. He wasn't meaning to. He wasn't being nasty to any boys on purpose. But I asked him, I said, Lex, what would you have done if you'd had to start in Memphis and work for three or $400 a week for a couple of years? You know, he said, oh, I would have never done that. And he's talking to a person who did that and other people who had done that, right? But the point is, I'm sitting next to him because he had first class in his contract, and I paid $40 with my frequent flyer card, right? We're next to each other. I don't know what Vince was doing in those days as far as who had first class and who didn't, but that's the thing. And then uh, I'm sure Teddy's story, I haven't heard it, but, you know, he saw the Miz, meaning he, saw there's Teddy who's looks great, by the way, never ages. He's almost 80 now. Because he, before he even got in wrestling, he worked for James Brown and he was a DJ and he's been on the program here before, back in the archives, it's somewhere. Anyway, Miz wanted to give, you know, to be cool. Here's this senior citizen and a Hall of Famer or whatever. So he gave him a seat. I think that's very kind of Miz. So he probably he learned his lesson when they threw his shit out in the hallway and made him dress in a fucking mop closet. But that's that's the kind of thing that can get heat when when a top guy will get on the plane and he'll see, you know, an underneath guy or a preliminary guy or whatever is in there in first class. He's got to jam himself in between, you know, a woman with a fucking carbuncle on her neck and a fat guy from Cleveland with a fucking salami sandwich in his pocket. And then on Crockett's plane now, there was still a pecking order because it was an old uh, Gulfstream prop jet that was customized to seat I think it was 14 people and that included the jump seat with the pilot so really 13 chairs but there weren't really 13 chairs because there was a bench seat that counted as three and then there was another double chair on the other side so the captain's chairs the big nice leather seats that was for Dusty and Flair and Ivan Crockett if he was on it because it was his fucking plane and the road warriors and, you know, horsemen or whatever. And I was always on the bench. Actually, that's how I got over being afraid to fly on that plane because everybody had to be in a seat and seat belted before they could take off. So as the manager and junior member of this equation, I was the guy that got the jump seat because that was a little fucking hard-ass thing that was hard and uncomfortable and right over the pilot's shoulders but oh that was just for takeoffs and landings then i could get up and go back and sit down and blah 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 so when we'd take off or we'd land i'm right on top of the pilots i see them smiling i see them joking 
I, there's no panic going on. There's no alarm bells. I'm right on top of all the information. And they would tell me about turbulence and et cetera and blah, blah, blah. So I got a little more comfortable with that. But anyway, and then I'd go back and sit on the bench seat and let all the top guys have the captain's chairs and everybody was lovely. What other what other questions were in there? Uh, hold on, I got to go back to the question now because yeah, because he while. asked about eighteen. I know it's been. Oh, you now you're saying I'm I'm rambling. No, eh? I'm not saying that. Hold on. Is it always the protocol for a wrestler to give up their seat to another wrestler who has been in the business longer? Well, no, it's. I mean, again, if it's a age and seniority issue, if you've got somebody is twenty or thirty years older then that is a polite thing to do. But at the same time, a guy could be in the second match and been in the business for 20 years, and here comes Hulk Hogan. Is he going to give his seat up because he's been in the business for fucking five when he's the WWF champion? So you have to play it by ear. Is it as simple as if you got onto a plane and you see someone who just arrived on the main roster that week and they're in first class, you'd probably have a problem? Well, me, no, because I ain't on the roster not at all. You, but if I you. was on the... <laughs> Yes, if if I've if I've been around for a while and suddenly some I'm sitting in coach once again in between fucking Harry Twins or something and I see a guy that just came up from NXT that's but that wouldn't happen cuz they're not going to they're going to start that issue by giving somebody that just came from NXT a first class seat and then if he upgraded if they still do that kind of thing then that leaves him open to some good-natured ribbing and or wrestler's court and or just going up there and saying, you know what? <laughs> You're sitting back in 42C now, pal. I mean, it, and some people would call that bullying, but it's making best use of your time on an airplane. Jim, our next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Chris in Brooklyn. I recently read The Death of WCW for the first time and came up with a hypothetical that completely removes Vince Russo from the equation. I'm all for this. What if in 1999, instead of hiring Russo, WCW outright bought ECW and made Paul Heyman the head writer? Could Heyman have salvaged the WCW brand? Would an invasion angle written by Paul have worked? Keep in mind, ECW still had Taz, RVD, Mike Awesome, and the Dudleys in 1999, and they could have played off guys like Malenko, Benoit, Guerrero, who were still there, and Rey Mysterio joining them. Could we have ended up with ECW Thunder and WCW Nitro? But I guess the question, what do you think of the idea? 1999, Vince Russo is not hired. He stays in WWE. I hate that part, I'm sure. Yeah, well, no, I was about to leave too. <laughs> I, no, I'd already come to Louisville. So he could have been there and it'd been fine. What do you think it would have meant to WCW hiring a 1999 Paul Heyman or buying ECW to get access to a 1999 Paul Heyman? Could he have saved WCW? Well, there, there's so much what ifs and the parameters of even this hypothetical situation. WCW in 19... 99 and help me they had had they just about started realizing wait a minute we're not making a fortune like we 
used to, but where they weren't really losing money yet, that came in 2000, or where were they at? Well, the ratings were starting to drop because WWE, WWF at the time was getting really hot. That's what made yeah. them think if we hire the man who they <laughs> somehow yeah. thought was the man of the, the magic man behind WWF success, that they'd be able to boost their numbers, and it went the other way. Well, but the point is, I don't know that they would have bought ECW. And but let's go with the hypothetical and say they did. But at that point, if it was up to Paul, I can see where he might have thought for immediate programming, let's do an invasion angle with with ecw just because i want to introduce my core guys see here's the thing if you put Heyman in charge of wcw creative and we're saying all these what ifs and they own the intellectual property to ecw turner broadcasting does and they bought the contracts of all the guys in ecw that he had left at that time then yes i think paul probably would have done some type of invasion of his top guys, his, his Taz and a few of the others you mentioned, but it wouldn't have been an all encompassing because for one thing, the ECW guys were massively outnumbered by the WCW roster, which was well over a hundred guys at that point. So it would have been a little lopsided, but secondly, I think Paul realized that he had a certain number of guys that may be able to make it on a national basis, but some of the ECW guys were necessity rather than choice. And if he had access to that entire WCW roster with all the names there and the way that Paulie knows how to take advantage of legends with history and you know, maybe revamp guys that have been names, but give them a little fresh coat of paint. I don't think his his uh, primary goal would have been to establish ECW as a promotion to be competitive with WCW to have a promotional war on their programming when his big war and he was and the company that he's now working for WCW was starting to lose that war. The big war was with the WWF. So I think Paul would have energized that incredible WCW roster they had of names, integrate his top ECW guys into that mix with the goal being that once that they're over and have programs, you know, against some of the WCW guys that, that meant something to establish them as meaningful top guys, the new ECW guys, then he has to like I said earlier in the program, as, uh, evaluate his roster. Now he can't have 200 guys. So there's going to be some from WCW he's going to want to cut, but they probably got contracts. It may be a problem. Some guys in ECW were working on handshakes. They may be easier to get rid of. If anybody thinks that Paul Lee would not put business in front of a personal relationship or loyalty to his former company, you're out of your mind. And he would tighten up the roster and make it as strong as he could. And he would also be putting as much time and effort into the WCW roster that he'd suddenly inherited 
if not more than the ECW roster, because those are still the more established guys and the major names that are going to be the lead soldiers in his fight against Vince McMahon. So by, I would think that within the first 12 months that he was there, that the ECW guys that he was going to keep would have been assimilated into the roster and uh, there would have been some basically guys that he didn't need on either roster that would have been eliminated and he would be doing everything he could to just make the WCW's programming strong as possible as a counter program against WWF to try to keep the ratings war competitive. And I think he would have done a much better job than what they fucking ended up with. Yes, my God, that's, that's faint praise. But I think he would have, he would have given Vince a fucking issue at that point in time if they'd have let him go and he could have, but then again, this is all what if, because Paul couldn't have existed under that strict corporate ownership and leadership and interference when he couldn't even really exist in Vince's that let most everything on the wrestling side fly. Yeah, this isn't 2023 Paul Heyman. This is 1999 Paul Heyman in his trench coat. Yeah. And so there would have, you know, but I mean, it's all what if. So we're if we're just talking about that what if question, Paul would have fucking give Vince some problems for a while. And, uh, and would have definitely been better than what they ended up with, but eventually somebody would have thrown him out of the fucking window at, at uh, CNN Center. The TV would have been better. They probably would have been able to stop all the problems that would happen with the TV getting worse and the ratings eventually dropping. However, unless you have some executive that had the foresight to come in there in 99 and immediately cut the budget, no one knew what was going to happen with AOL Time Warner. and they ended up canceling WCW and they saw the costs. They canceled it and they yeah. sold the assets. So for Paul Heyman, for someone to save WCW, it's not just save the ratings because of the merger in the long run. It's also cut the costs. Well, yeah. And, and Bischoff was the one primarily responsible for the cost because he spent the money like a drunken sailor when they got hot on the contracts. And that's why they called him ATM Eric. And there was no, it was the the same thing that Shitstein actually said, articulated. I asked him, I said, what's going to happen if business goes down? Well, if we do it right, it'll never go down. Bischoff was signing contracts based on, well, if we continue to do business bigger than almost any, than any company ever in the history of the wrestling business ever has, then we'll be just fine. <laughs> but you, I don't care if they had the reanimated corpse of Luthez, Carl Gotch, and goddamn fucking Jim Londos. It's some Zombie point. Mania. Yeah, there you go. But business always goes down. And that's so at any rate. Um, and Paul and is Paul notoriously, was not <laughs> <laughs> notoriously unable to stick to a budget or handle a budget or anything related to financial means, as well as there's the punctuality quotient, which Paul was literally one step away from the grave on every deadline for anything that he ever had. And to the point where the pay-per-view company, Candido told me this himself, fined them because he didn't deliver the, the tape of the, the pre-taped 
uh, countdown show, Barker show, pitch show, whatever, to the pay-per-view company. You know, you just said something important, though, um, comparing Heyman to Bischoff. Remember, though, Bischoff wasn't done. It wasn't like Bischoff was never coming back. Bischoff was still under contract. They sent him home and brought Vince Russo in, and then Bischoff came back. So at some point, that version of Paul Heyman and that version of Eric Bischoff <laughs> would have had to have coexisted. <laughs> Oh my God, that would have been entertaining. That would have been entertaining. But hell, Heyman wouldn't. Heyman wouldn't even come out and outright just lay hands on and physically assault that Brian Gerwitz. So I don't think he would have bowed up too strong at Eric with all of that kung fuy he knows. Jim, our next question sent to Corny Drive-through at gmail.com from Eric in Pittsburgh. MJF has been established as being a chicken shit heel for a few years now. It worked for many of his past opponents. But now, he has gotten so physically impressive, does the chicken shit heel approach still work? They are setting MJF... Uh, I think he means up. They are setting up MJF to face Darby Allen, who is half his size, and he's paying Sammy Guevara, who is half his size, to be his enforcer. As great as MJF is at being a cowardly heel, should he still be doing it right now? It seems like it should be safe for opponents who look more like Wardlow, more technically sound like Danielson. What are your thoughts? And the subject line was, is MJF's physique too impressive to be a cowardly heel? Well, I can say, what's the questioner's name? Eric in Pittsburgh. Eric Pittsburgh. I can see where you're going. I can see what you're saying. But cowardly is not a state of physical being. Cowardly is a state of mind. And again, I see where you're going, but it's not necessarily that there's a, a couple different kinds of chicken shit heels. It's not like everybody does the exact same thing. There was the territory chicken shit heel was the usually the smaller guy, Weasley guy, hopefully a big mouth that could talk and piss people off so that then they like to see him get beat up and take bumps, which he did because he was, you know, uh, less than physically impressive, but he would cheat and, you know, steal victories and use foreign objects or whatever, then he'd back away from a face-to-face -face confrontation with the baby face. That's a chicken shit heel in the territory days, and there's endless variations. With MJF, he doesn't particularly fit that role or that picture, but it's the idea of it. It's the big mouth. It's Roddy Piper, without really being a chicken shit, was still kind of a chicken shit heel on a more national basis because he's the, the smart ass, the arrogant, obnoxious, smart mouth that can cut people down verbally and enrage people's emotions. At the same time, you know, when, it, when he's faced with a fair fight, he doesn't want any part of it, but he will cheat or back jump or use a foreign object or whatever to gain an advantage. All of those things actually fit MJF. It, just because he's jacked up doesn't mean he wants to fight because he doesn't want any marks on his face because he's going to Hollywood, right? You can have that obnoxious, arrogant attitude and be a chicken shit about a honest confrontation, or you can just be such a 
it, it can get you heat because you're good enough, but you take the shortcuts anyway because you don't want to work that hard or you're lazy or you're, you're fucking scared to get your face messed up. And with MJF working on his body more, um, that actually adds something to the heat when he still doesn't want to fight a guy straight up and wants to pay somebody else to do it, but he's just, he's being a rich, obnoxious asshole and that he's pitting people that need money against his enemies and he doesn't care whether the people that work for him prosper or not as long as they do his bidding and a, a chicken shit heel also does what MJF does but it makes sense for him as the champion in that he takes shortcuts he jumps people from behind or he gets in their head and plays mind games with them because he doesn't just want a fair fight, even Steven, blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't mean he has to run from everybody. Um, and But uh, again, like I said, part of the heat is not necessarily how jacked up you are, but how scared you are to get in an honest confrontation with the guy that the people like. Does that make any sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. I do think that MJF... There has been too much running, and I think that kind of has to go away. And I think it will probably with time. But my and big I, thing, I see him doing that because I see him envisioning. It's probably his thing. Yeah, and I'll run and because it's attention getting, and he does it in a comedic way most of the time, and people can laugh at the heel going up. But you don't, like you said, you don't want to do that too much. You want to save it for a special occasion. It can't be the thing where oh, this guy's gonna. And and also in some cases, now that he's the world champion, in most cases, people shouldn't be laughing at at any of the angles that he does. They should eventually, when the babyface gives him some kind of comeuppance, or they do the thing where they rip his fucking clothes off and leave him in his BBDs like the steamboat used to do, flare. Then you laugh, but that's a a, a, a pre-angle. For then the real angle will be when the heel comes back and fucking takes the baby face down and rubs his face against the concrete and burns all the skin off his fucking cheek. See, that's when you when you laugh that hard at the heel, that's really the pre-angle for the heel to come back and do something real heavy and real serious. Because now, as Dennis Condry used to say, you made him happy and made him laugh, and then you make him mad because you make him quit laughing. And that's where better heat comes in. Again, just recently, Tony Schiavone called him a prick. And then when MJF <laughs> acted offended by it, can he I said, say something? He said, about yes, that? yes, you are. He doubled down yes. on it. And somebody, I saw somebody on Twitter, wherever the fuck, they said, well, why shouldn't he? You know, because he is, and blah, blah, blah. And what, there's a difference between you can't, the announcers, JR would come, well, that no good, dirty son of a bitch, how dare he do that? That was JR in the Attitude Era sitting at the desk on a headset in the middle of an arena of 15,000 screaming people talking about what the heel had just done to the baby face in the ring. The heel could not hear him. The heel did not give a shit what he was saying at that point. They were, weren't even in the same worlds. JR was providing the soundtrack and speaking for the fans on what reaction they should be having. When the announcer 
all 62 years old and earrings wearing of him, Tony Schiavone, stands 10 feet or closer in front of the world champion with a microphone in his hand, and they're listening to each other, and he calls him a prick to his face. MJF should have gone right up and kicked him in the fucking balls. Pointed at him. Said, you're a prick. You're a prick. Shut up, you prick. Whatever he said. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to be a prick in 10 minutes, but right now you're conscious, and in 10 minutes you ain't going to be. Boom. That's the difference. It's face-to-face. It's confrontational. It's personal. That's where the announcer needs to back down from the, even if MJF's a chicken shed heel, he's more jacked than Tony Schiavone. And the announcer loses in the physical pecking order battle between wrestler and announcer. So that's the psychological difference between Jim Ross calling Triple H a no good dirty son of a bitch in the Attitude Era on commentary when something was going on and Tony Schiavone pointing at MJF in his face and calling him names right to him. Yeah, and Jim Ross typically didn't just do it out of nowhere. It was something going on. That no good, shut him up! Something's yes. happening to prompt that, not, you're a prick! Yeah. Yes, you are! <laughs> what? What is that? <laughs> well, Jim... The, there's subtleties <laughs> here. There's subtleties in the wrestling, in the wrestling business that a lot of... People don't pick up on anymore. I always love that angle where Boyd Pierce called Carl Cox a prick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where else in wrestling history would the lead commentator, one of the commentators, ever have stood up and called one of the top heels a prick and gotten away with it? When? <laughs> Mark Lawrence in the ring? Those free um, birds. You guys are some pricks. Yes. You are correct, sir. Yes, sir. I think Bill Mercer would have their pricks from Prickstonia. I've been covering pricks since 1942. Yes. <laughs> and I'll tell you who else was a prick. That damn Lee Harvey Oswald. When I covered him back in, he did, you know. He did. Bill he Mercer covered the Kennedy the, assassination. Yeah. Yes. In Dallas on television in 63. Nevertheless, where were we going? Where we were going was the idea that MJF has to put up with this. He has to put up with a big frumpy Tony Schiavone getting up and calling him out and he can't do anything. There's no recourse. Maybe he should sue. You know what? It's slander, it's defamation, it's defecation, it's all those things, and if you need to sue, well, I know who that you need to call to make you happy when you do sue. Call Stephen P. Do you like how I went around my elbow to get to my wrist there on the ooh sound so I could finally end that thing? <laughs> that was good. Anyway, folks, if you see what I did there, if you need to sue, well, then you can call Stephen P. New with impunity because he will take your call, either that or one of his minions or enforcers, as the case may be, will take your call and direct you or relay you to the proper place or person that you not, might need to speak to or just help you out. Now, don't call for a handout. He's, he's quit doing that. Stephen P. knew it was last week. He was giving away $50 bills to everybody that he walked across. But nevertheless, right now, if you've been wrongfully terminated, damaged, injured, ripped apart by a shredding machine in a farm accident, whatever the hell has happened to you, 
if it's bad and somebody else is responsible, Stephen P. New will bring them to a court of law and exact justice, retribution, and most importantly, payment. 888-692-8084, the number to call, newlawoffice.com, the place to go, and Stephen P. New, the man to know. You know Stephen, Brian. Of course, I know Stephen. Well, yeah, isn't he the man to know? He's certainly a man to know. That's why you know him. If Brian Lass knows a son of a bitch, that means that he's the man to know. So that means that you people need to know him too. So if you know New like I know New, then you'll know that he's far from new at this. He's experienced and competent. Stephen P. New, (laughs) newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. If you knew new like I knew new, then you'd know that new is new. I can tell you new doesn't want to hear you do any more singing. Hey! Well, Jim, before we do any more singing, something is making the rounds right now on social... my gardeners now. They've just showed up. Oh, is that what I hear? Yeah. The listeners always complain they don't hear anything because we do such a good job. You have have Kippelman and Jay Sharknado and all these other people filtering these things jim apparently and i'm not sure what the source is but it's been sent to me by a few people here it has now been released on social media the memo that linda mcmahon issued in 1996 telling staff that there'll be no more food water insurance (laughs) photocopiers have you seen this wait a minute hold on what's the date on it uh there is not a date let me uh, double check there was not because a date because if there then that i believe that it was 1995 if we're trying to be uh, strictly uh copacetic here as mama cornet used to say i believe that came out in the latter stages of 1995 but go a, ahead do you have a copy of this no i don't because that's what I'm saying to you is, is that when I joined the office in early 96, there was still conversation about what had gone on and the fact they took the water coolers off the fourth floor. But I, I heard about, if this is the, the incident that I'm thinking about, remember the one where Lord Al Hayes said, well, fuck it, I quit, right? That when, when, they, when yeah. they cut all of the, because the way I understand it, they didn't cut the employees' actual like salary. They may have taken the water coolers out and cut benefits or closed the gym early or whatever. You're going to read us this. But the, the wrestling side, they actually, like Bruce Pritchard, Pat Patterson, Lord Al Hayes, J.J. Dillon, they cut their salaries. J.J. seemed to indicate it was about 30%. And he had come up there in that overpriced hellhole, Connecticut, as JR termed it, and everybody termed it, because it was like fucking living in Fort Knox. You know, he couldn't make it. That's when he, Lord Al Hayes, decided to quit there and then, and that's what motivated JJ to quit toward the end of 96, because he had to sell the house that he had bought there, and he had to make sure that he didn't get stuck with a house and no job and all that stuff, so it took him a year for him to get out of there. But this was what instigated these things. And I believe that was right before. Because when I went, I didn't know how much the office people, the creative team, whoever in WWF made at that point. And as I've mentioned, I, didn't, I never asked for the job. I went to Vince in 
early November of 95 saying that, you know, things were not good in Tennessee and I was going to have to probably close Smoky Mountain down by after Thanksgiving, if not by Christmas, you know, unless something happened, thinking that he might try to throw me a bone like he had done Heyman when he took a bunch of the talent um, just to keep things going because I'd fed him a number of guys. And he double-crossed me and didn't offer to give Smoky Mountain any money. He offered me a goddamn job. And I'm like, oh, goddamn it. So... Where was, was that discussion? Um, in November of 1995, where did we, at the beginning of that month, where did we do television? So that's what I meant. It was at the arena. You, you weren't even yeah. in the office yet at this time. No, no. I'd never seen Titan Tower at that point. It was wherever we, either the end of October or first week of November when we did television, wherever it was in the TV arena. You ever feel ripped off that you didn't get the experience of being picked up in the limo and either brought to the tower or brought right to Vince's house to meet him when you first come in? Well, no, they, he did that in 86, remember? When the midnight and I went up there. But the thing is, because it was a secret meeting, we didn't go to the office or his house. We went to a hotel in Stamford. Uh, that he got us a room just so we could talk and have lunch brought up and everything. But we got the limo from the airport to the hotel and then back again. And he pulled up in that. I have no idea what kind of car that was that he had back in those. This was 1986. But it was like a 1930-something Rolls-Royce-looking fucking thing that John Steed would have driven in the Avengers with no top on it. It looked like it had to be a $500,000 fucking show car or something. That's not the car he's in in those photos with him and Hogan, is it? You know what? It may very well be. He drove that up to the front of the fucking hotel. Was he wearing a suit? I, yes. Oh, yes. One of, the, one of his announcer suits from the 80s. Well, let's get to, uh, speaking of right. his announcer suits from the 80s, let's get to Linda's letter here. To the mailing list of everyone... The subject, a memo from Linda McMahon. Here are the message contents. To all, I caught Vince with moolah again last night. Oh, come on! I'm taking half of everything and selling it to the Saudis! <laughs> Over the last few weeks, we have had many meetings and discussions about our profit improvement plan, and we have received many good suggestions, which we will continue to evaluate. However, the following suggestions we are going to implement immediately. Number one, telephone. Effective today, everyone will be responsible for all personal long-distance telephone calls. At the end of each month, you will receive a call listing for all long-distance calls made from your extension. Please review it and send your check made payable to Titan Sports to accounting. <laughs> Yes. Uh, did you have to do that? <laughs> um, no, cause I never fucking, I had an office in name only. I barely ever made any phone calls out of it either. I was ne almost never in it, but go ahead. Must be wonderful working there and then writing checks to your employer. When, when Bruce, when JJ left and Bruce became, uh, vice president of talent relations for a brief time and turned into Adolph Pritchard. Uh, he brought in this paperwork one day and he said, here, I said, what's this? He said, it's your call logs. I said, what? He said, you need to write down every time you make a phone call, who you call, 
how long you talk and what the take notes on the the topic. Like if you're calling the third party promoters or you're calling the talent or whatever. I say you are you out of your fucking mind that besides the fact that I'm already talking to these people to begin with and that takes time that I've, I'm going to you think I'm going to sit down and write all that shit down yeah yeah we're all going to have to do them okay here you go and I threw them in the drawer and I never saw them again go ahead number two crystal rock water we will discontinue the purchase of bottled water at Titan Tower and at the distribution center when the water supply we have in house is depleted <laughs> Fill your canteens now. Over the next few weeks, we will. Hey, 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 Sam, let me let me preface this. Remember, I've told I've told everybody how that how times have changed. That Vince McMahon, the, for the first year '96 that I worked for him, talked about how that he lost five million dollars out of my ass last year, and and he complained about that, and that this is the result of all of that. This is what happened as a result of that, I should say, that he was chapped, and now he spends that to get laid. Go ahead. Over the next few weeks, we will install drinking fountains at TV and phase out the bottled water at that facility also. So when they say TV, and, they're and, talking and, about the studio. At, at TV, they're talking about the TV studio on Hamilton Avenue. Three, cafeteria. We have attempted to change the service and at least break even, but we have been unsuccessful. As of Monday, we will discontinue our cafeteria service. The lunchroom will be open, and soon we will provide more vending machines for you to use. <laughs> so no more fresh now, food, but please buy a candy bar. Well, hold on now. I will tell you that apparently there was such blowback on that. By the time that I got there, they had opened the cafeteria back up because the guy, wow. I can't remember what his name was, but the guy that ran it, that cooked there, and I guess he ran the thing, used to love seeing me come in because everybody else was coming in and ordering wraps and salads and turkey sandwiches or whatever trying to eat healthier be like vince now went to the fucking gym that they had there and everything i'd come in i'd either get the a double order of the chicken fingers with double ranch or the goddamn double cheeseburger with extra cheese and the, the smell of frying would fill that whole room and you would see tables of people getting up and physically looking like they're going to be ill and leaving whenever i'd come in to eat there and it was like three days a week for a while it was great Four, security. We will eliminate the security at Titan Tower and the TV facility effective at the end of today. <laughs> A receptionist will be at the B-level lobby and at TV's lobby to greet our guests. To greet our guests and to attempt to keep out the people that apparently armed security were necessary <laughs> for... <laughs> And again, this is Stamford, Connecticut. And you would think, oh my God, Titan Tower would be in a great neighborhood. Literally, the other side of the street can be a bad neighborhood in that town. And when they put me up at the condo that they got me for the first four months until, you know, I could find a house up there. And we've told that story too, how much the house, houses cost. But the doorman was like, at the condo was like, now... Because it was right across the street from a big shopping mall. And, you know, you would think, well, you can just walk across the street and you're in the mall. You go through the parking garage in the mall and then you go 
to the elevator or whatever. But the doorman said, no, don't, uh, if it's after dark, don't walk across this. Get us to walk you across the street and, and get you in the elevator. What? Well, it's not. Okay, I just won't go over there after dark at fucking all. Continue. Number five, Federal Express. It doesn't absolutely positively have to be there overnight. We have seen a dramatic reduction in Federal Express, but there is still room to improve. All requests must absolutely be necessary. Jim, how often when you worked in the office did you use Federal Express? Or FedEx as we know it now. I never sent anybody anything from that fucking office. It it, it wasn't my job, man. Every time I ever hear anyone talk about getting anything from Vince, it's always like, yeah, they FedExed me something. Yeah, well, that was... (laughs) You know what? I swear, I think... Did I hear a story at one point that the fucking somebody on the second floor FedExed something to somebody on the third floor just to be a smartass? Well, I hope Linda didn't find out. Number six, spending authority. Beginning today, I am instituting a radical new procedure for expenditure approvals. A table of authority, which indicates who is authorized to spend the company's funds, will be (laughs) circulated to everyone. Let me stop there. That's fascinating. A table of authority, (laughs) which will show who can spend the funds. And then the, there, there was the there was the other end of the the equation. There was the chair of irresponsibility, where if you spended irresponsibility, you would get hit over the head with a chair. In the past, department heads were permitted to sign contracts, purchase inventory, and commit expenditure dollars without senior management approval. All such items and all monies to be spent, regardless of the amount except as indicated on the attached, must be approved by Doug Sages or myself. Check requests and or purchase order must be completed. This process will be refined as we proceed, but I'm convinced that we will be better able to harness our spending with this procedure. Spending authority, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, the Port Authority was over the spending at one point, and then the Chicago Transit Authority took over from there, and then there was a place in Dallas that I used to enjoy called Pizza Transit Authority, where they delivered pizzas. Did you like Pizza Inn? No, I like Pizza Out, Pizza Inn. It doesn't matter. We can bring it in. We can go out and have it, whichever. Did you ever have spending authority while you were there? Uh, No. Well, actually, I had to pay for lunch at the cafeteria, but (laughs) Vince would pay when we were at his house on Wednesday's writing. He'd take us down to the little store and buy our lunch. Number seven, Kodak copy machines. (laughs) We have evaluated our usage and found that a number of machines are significantly underutilized. As such, we will be eliminating some of the machines in the near future. That will mean that the machine locations will be less convenient for some of us. This is a guy that 15 years later would spend $20 million for pussy. And he was mad because we were using too much ink in the Xerox machines. Number eight, insurance benefits. One idea that continually surfaced in our meetings to save costs 
would be to have employees contribute to the cost of our medical insurance. Effective December 1, we shall change our policy to reflect those costs. During the following weeks, we shall provide you with various coverage options. Do you remember anything about this after you got there? Um, well, honestly, again, it was, what was it, 90s? I came in because I was still on a talent contract, and then they gave me a contract uh, to be on a creative team, but I was not an employee until the following year where... At that point, for about two weeks, I was an employee because Vince had taken me off of managing, and I was just doing the creative team. I've told this story before, so I'll try to gloss over it. So at that point, they said, well, we'll just make you an employee. And because they had uh, originally, they were going to make me an employee, but because the talent contract, a talent couldn't be an employee at the same time. You see what I'm saying here? So they started paying, they got me insurance and reimbursed me for it. I got health insurance, life insurance, and something else, and they took out the policy and they would cut me a check every month for the premium that I paid. And then for a year later, they said, well, we'll just make you an employee and we'll have to stop jumping through all these hoops. And I was an employee for about two weeks and then... Vince sent me out to kill some time on the microphone and take a bump for the baby face. And the lawyer, Ed Kaufman, got panicked over that, said, you can't take bumps, you're an employee. I said, well, I never said I was going to quit doing anything. Unmake me an employee and go back to the old deal. And then he went back to the old deal. You're fired. Go out there and do your thing. Yeah, there you go. So that's so I don't know what the actually the insurance this is the only time I've ever had a job where I had insurance to begin with, unless I got it myself. Number nine, temporary personnel. We shall eliminate temporary personnel, but under extreme situations will be evaluated by Lisa Wolf. <laughs> Full time personnel will need to be allocated on a priority basis. Freelancers. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just about to say uh, that's you know basically. I guess they were calling in too many extra. What are the what they used to call them? Uh, um, oh my God! There was some sexist, condescending name for the temporary secretary service they used to have. Vince's girlfriends. No, oh, God damn it! That was the illegal paralegals. Um, it like meter maids, but um, oh God, I can't. There's remember. no meter. Well, exactly. This was back in like the fifties. Get one of the, uh, the, the, the something girls or whatever. I'm dying to know what it is now. They were temporary secretaries. It's what they were that you could just call up and they would send you one. Number 10 freelancers, except for remote television shoots, the use of freelancers will be eliminated. Again, personnel will be cross-trained so that departments can work to assist one another when necessary. So how about that? Linda McMahon inventing cross-training. Well, there you go. And she, and she always was in good shape. And I mean, a lot of this, I mean, not the minute stuff, like the no more bottled water and all this other shit, but they did, and they went back to it as soon as they started making money again. The WWF always had a habit of just spending money when and having multiple people doing shit 
And then I came from the exact opposite where, especially in Smoky Mountain, but in any type of regional territory wrestling, people did six or seven different things. So I was used to that. I was kind of stunned when they had people just doing one particular thing up there. Number 11, Overtime. The company will no longer pay OT for anyone who works through their lunch hour. <laughs> All OT costs will be reevaluated. Was that a common issue there? I see again, I wasn't on the, I was over on the side of the building that never got overtime to begin you with. You wish you so had a clock. <laughs> yeah, boy, if I'd have had a fucking clock on me in the wrestling business rather than a calendar, because it's, it's like we worked daily but for 20 hours instead of eight go ahead and finally number 12 email our goal is to discontinue paper memos and to use email the email system is very convenient and efficient <laughs> this is only a start please continue with your ideas work efficiently plan and don't be wasteful I expect there will be some glitches, but only temporarily. Thank you. I'll be in Florida with my pool boy. Thank you. Fuck you. <laughs> Linda McMahon. Okay, and also the email when I got there and they gave me the office, right? is uh, right across the hall from Finkel and, uh, and Diagonal from Jim Ross. Um... Th th there was a computer. The only thing in the office was a desk a chair, a computer of the time, imagine 1996 computer, the big bulky square thing, right? And this framed picture of Vince, it's a framed like 24 by 36 poster of Vince doing his announcer pose from the 80s. And that was leaning up behind the door. And otherwise, completely empty room. And I said, when I leave, eventually I'm taking that picture with me. And I did, it's hanging on my wall behind me right now. But they say, oh, well, you got to, you know, we're communicating by email. I said, what the fuck is that, right? And they showed me, and especially because it's easier now, but but you remember back then, the fucking way the screen looked, and it was just like, you know, you were playing Pong and typing at the same time. And I said, I'm going to hate this. So I sent an email, because they gave me an office email address. I sent an email to, oh, God, what was the lady's name? It was head of human relations, human resources, whatever. But I sent that, and I sent it to Nicole, one of the secretaries, and Beth, Vince's secretary, included everybody. So they see, I know how to send the email. I never fucking sent another email the whole time I worked there, another three years. Vince wasn't emailing. He wasn't emailing to us. We had to sit across from him and with our books and our pencils and write down shit that he said. So, and then if there was something that everybody needed to know, when JR took over talent relations, he would just have a memo copied and put in all of our boxes, me included. So I didn't have to worry about looking at the goddamn email. Obviously, this came from Linda and Vince's good time Charlie, as we all know. Did Linda have a reputation around the office as being, you know, someone you didn't want to mess with or stern or anything? Well, no, not Stern, somebody you didn't want to mess with. I mean, obviously, for fuck's sake, it's not only Linda is in charge of the business side of the company, but it's Vince's wife. So obviously, you don't fuck with her. 
She wasn't a stern woman. She wasn't she wasn't going down the hallway laughing and slapping her knee and telling stories and speaking loudly. She like she was on TV. She's very reserved and quiet, polite. Um you know, no outrageousness to her or whatever and very kind of I mean stick in the mud kind of businessy. That's why she ran the business side. And you went over there to that other side of the fourth floor. I was over there like twice. It just, uh, I don't even know why. In her office, just the outer office, actually. It was even more opulent and more like a lawyer's office than Vince. She didn't have a dinosaur fossil on the wall or the weird colors or some of the things up on the walls that Vince had, but it looked like you were walking into you know, a, a big time corporate lawyer's office over there that, cause that's where they entertained the business people and they hired all the people over there and that worked in the company that didn't have anything to do with wrestling, marketing and merchandising and whatever. And that was a whole different side. And then they knew that if they came to that particular, what was it? The, I guess it'd be the Northeastern corner of Titan Tower on the fourth floor, that was where you might find Jim Cornette and fucking Jim Ross and Howard Finkel and Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard and Jake Snake Roberts or Michael Hay or those lunatics that you can hear coming a mile away and you're going to hear some kind of profanity coming from doors and there's going to be some kind of craziness going on. So most of the normal people only came over there when they had business transact. All right, Jim. Well, this may not be our longest episode, but we're going to get out of here in a moment. I was about to say, do we have any more business to transact? One last story I got to leave you with because it ties into all your legal uh, problems right now. Maybe. Oh, you know, the, the big lawsuit, right? The big lawsuit, Rock Khan suing you, Michael Jordan, The Rock, Home Depot, Bank of America, and various other municipalities. Several defunct people as well. <laughs> Several defunct organizations. Not, not, not Dory nor Terry, but some defunct people. Well, this article right here was sent to me from CNN by Michelle Watson. Ten-year-old children were found working at a Louisville McDonald's until <laughs> 2 a.m. Do you know anything about this, sir? You know, actually, I just saw that news broke on the noon news today here in the Derby City. And um, I don't think that my name is on any of the ownership papers of the uh, uh, locations in question. I've, you know, I innocently invested a little money in fast food several years ago, and I just wanted to keep costs down. And first thing, we took the water coolers out, and then we oh, turned, off, tur turned <laughs> off the air conditioning in the kitchen last summer, thinking that would save some money. And but then we had to pay for all those ambulances to come when people started dropping over of heat frustration. But finally, we realized that those kids under 12 will work a whole lot cheaper than those adults with families and mortgages and shit. I went to a better article here from the New York Post. The U.S. government slapped three McDonald's franchises in Kentucky with more than $200,000 in fines after an investigation found they employed minors including a 10-year-old who was... <laughs> who was working the fryer! Including a 10-year-old who was illegally made to work until 2 a.m. and who was allowed to operate a deep fryer all without getting paid. <laughs> well, now, see, I should let this. It's just such a ridiculous combination of concepts there. There's several components to this story. <laughs> Apparently, this, 
this uh, restaurant company owns franchises of a number of fast food places in various locations around here, and they found that apparently they had violated the child labor laws on 300-some underage, you know, employees, because apparently if you can, you can work a such and such amount of hours if you're under 18, like between 16 and 18, or I don't know how they gauge this, because I never had a job when I was a teenager either. Um, not a real one. Where's our son? He's not in his bed. Oh, he's at work. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You you know, kids work McDonald's or whatever while they're in high school to earn extra money. That's and more power to them. Industrious young people, right? But you can't work a certain amount of hours if you're not 18. And they violated that, but they actually had two 10-year-old kids that had been working the late shift at one of these McDonald's, including one of them running the fucking fryer. No wonder the fries are not as good as they used to be. And the excuse from the restaurant, the defendants, if you will, was that it was the night manager's kids and they weren't getting paid. They were just helping out because the night manager told them to. Management didn't know anything about it. But And apparently the kid's a hell of a fucking hand with the fryer. So that's what's going on down here, yeah. You know, in a way, I mean, I hate to say this, but I kind of feel sympathy there at the end when you say that because... If the night manager's bringing his kids or her kids, we we don't know. You assume they're there for a reason. It may not be because I need. If it's because I need more work and I don't want to hire anyone, so I got ten year olds. That's one thing. If but it's, but but no no because it's not her money or his money or their money or whatever fucking genre the person is. It's not their money and it's the fucking owner of the franchise location's money. So it basically, they're understaffed. So the fucking night manager said, "Hey, kids, fuck school in the morning. Come in here and run this fucking fryer for me. I need help." Well, it seems like every time we turn around, there's another crazy story coming out of Louisville, Jim. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, there was the this... bank. Now is this? Every time we, anything happens, we hear from people: tornadoes. Well, we've got some screwy weather, and the shootings, it's America. They happen everywhere, on everybody's corner. We've all got a part to play in that, but child labor is, I will admit, kind of a stereotypical Kentucky hillbilly type of thing. Wait till you hear about the age of consent as an embryo. What? Oh, boy, down in them, down in them there hills. Do you think Rocka Khan should get involved in this case? Rocka Khan? Rocka Khan. I want to sue. I think I'll sue you. Um, sue Jim Cornette, Rocka Khan. I think that certainly her attorneys, apparently, if she has any, although now I've heard she may be representing herself, but she's got a lot of experience in, in child custody and treatment and care and maintenance and servicing, whatever else you do to children. Apparently, she's got a lot of experience. That seems to be where her life started going sideways to begin with. If she represents herself, what can we do to convince you to testify? Because oh, I would love she, to see her be the one to question you. Yeah, that, I, <laughs> I will make a public promise right here <laughs> that if this fucking fiasco were to ever actually get to court and, and my presence not just requested, just would be allowed, I would be glad to go wherever it was and let her cross-examine me. You heard it here first. You'll be seeing Cornette Court TV on YouTube in the coming weeks. But And, and hey, Rock, if you're listening, uh, if you'll meet me halfway, we can share a ride.
with that, I'll be driving. Well, I'm sure he may be catching a ride with Michael Jordan on his plane, but with that, the drive-thru is closed. A very peaceful ending. We'll have songs next week here on the show. Very peaceful. It'll just put me to sleep. We'll be back this weekend, or more than likely Monday, on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, next week, right back here on the drive-thru. Always stay in touch with the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork and the guest artists. And don't forget, if there's anything big happening in wrestling, and if we decide just to do anything extra, that's where you're going to see it. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Get access to the archive going to patreon.com slash Cornette. For $5 a month, you get access to the shows going back to 2013, including Teddy Long on the show, as mentioned earlier, patreon.com slash Cornette. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com. What's going on, Jim? The poor Featherbottom family is overwhelmed. I just passed off 240-something boxes to Hotchkiss Featherbottom this morning that are hitting the mail stream soon. And we are, I would say, if you have ordered since our big sale April the 8th, uh, we probably got less than 400 boxes left to send out. And they're the figures and multiple items. So they're a little bulkier, take a little extra time. But in a couple of weeks, I think you're looking good. Cornet's collectibles and get stuff today. Very little waiting except on figures. And even then it ain't as bad as it used to be. And as mama Cornette used to say, it won't be as long as it's been at jimcornet.com. Of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, and next week, right back here on the drive through for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, 
and shoot angles are all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pietro, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.